Adam's family celebrates Thanksgiving, Mike Myers ruins a perfectly good kids' book, and Jennifer Lawrence is on fire. This week on 30-20-10. Hello everyone and welcome to 302010, uh, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine, bringing you through the best, biggest, and worstest in one of these cases, milestones, anniversaries, looking at the world that was 30, 20, and 10 years ago of our pop culture past, largely, we have some news in here. Hello, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista, who else is with me? I'm Diana Goodman, and I'm just like any modern woman trying to have it all. Loving husband, family, it's just... I wish I had more time to seek out the dark forces and join their hellish crusade. Also, release Coyote versus Acme. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I didn't get a chance. How fucking timely was that? Us complaining about Warner Brothers having no respect for their animation legacy. Exactly. I was. I just wanted to say, just to pile on, Mister Zaslov. If you can't make more than thirty million dollars on a movie written by James Gunn, starring John Cena, featuring your biggest IP. You should quit. You should quit your job. <laughs> How can you not make... I could make $30 million on that, for fuck's sake. Jesus Christ. Now, allegedly, they're shopping it around. This is not a modern news show. To be fair, Wiley E. Coyote going through an extreme production and then failing miserably <laughs> is absolutely on brand yeah. for that character. Yeah, yeah. Acme always <laughs> wins just, in the end. Who just said that? Uh, that's me, J.R. Rawls, and... Money can be exchanged for goods and services. <laughs> I understood that reference. Every week has something that is sort of my favorite thing ever. Uh, what a great week. In a small way, we won't take too much of your time this week, he says, jinxing everyone. <laughs> There's a lot to talk about. Once again, no. thanks to our friends at patreon.com slash laser time, supporting us at the $5 level. Get over 100 extra shows, including... Uh, uh, shows where J.R., Diane, and I go in-depth more on shows from the 80s, 40 years ago. But 30, 20, 10 is all about 30, 20, and 10 years ago. Get it? So we're going to be talking about 1993, 2003, and 2013 uh, in movie, TV, music, and pretty much everything but radio. Okay. <laughs> let's let's get started, as we always do. 30 years ago in 1993, November 17th through the 23rd. That is our window here across three decades and this week in the news, I don't remember this, uh, but General Sani Abacha leads a military coup that returns Nigeria to military rule. Um, oof. Yeah, just people don't pay enough attention to Africa in general. They kind of view it as one giant thing, which, of course, it is not. Nigeria is the juggernaut of Africa. To give you a sense of how big it is, it is expected to have a larger population than the U.S. in the next decade. In the 2030s. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. They are marginally a democracy now. That uh, coup kind of lasted until Abacha died in like the late 90s. And um, but they are ranked towards the bottom when it comes to things like freedom of speech and not having ridiculous corruption. I, I don't have a lot to add here, but I just it was momentous for me. Like my first cab ride from the airport when I moved into Florida a few years ago, my cab driver was Nigeria. And we had a long drive and he was telling me like, well, how'd, how'd you end up here? He's like, do you know about the coups and such in Nigeria? Mm. Give me some credit for not doing his accent. And I'm like, no, he's like, my dad was a diplomat. 
So he has oh. been driven out by threat of death twice, comes back, <laughs> welcome back with the new government, run right out again. Uh, and then I, th- it, I think they were clear. And I don't, that's the only, but it was just astonishing. He told me about like, we're free to go back in that last a few years and they have to flee for their lives as a, as a family again. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Nigeria also has a massive oil industry. Mm-hmm gigantic that is what fuels all of the good and all of the bad okay. uh interesting country i'd actually like to visit There's yeah pictures of lagos is like is that just hong kong it's just like eighty thousand size skyscrapers just sitting there like oh okay cool uh nigeria anyway. weigh in our nigeria. nigerian listeners uh also in uh on this side of the pond uh u.s house of Emp- representatives approves nafta uh goes into effect uh, New Year's, the North American Free Trade Agreement. Thank you, SNL, for allowing me to remember that. I believe it was signified <laughs> with a pinata. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, boy. Like anything else, some of this is good, some of it yep. is bad. You yep. cannot have a large economic reform, which this was, without hurting some people. You can't. I'm sorry. There's winners and losers in an economy. I think this helped more than it hurt, but I'm not going to lie and say it didn't hurt anyone because mm. it sure did. Yep. And just, I mean, it seems kind of obvious that, like, you look at a map and it's like, America has two land borders and they are massive. We should probably have decent trade going along those. It just makes things easier for everyone. Like, we should probably just drop all the the tariffs and stuff on things coming in from Canada. Because, like, why why wouldn't we? I don't know. They're Canada. They're so polite. Uh, oh. But yeah, this ends up, it does uh, help ship a lot of uh, manufacturing jobs to Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but not as, like, look, reading 30 years later on, like, the effects, okay, it's not as devastating as I thought it was at the time. But, well, you know, your real competition is always going to be a microchip when it comes yeah. to manufacturing. And yeah. that's what's really devastated. We make far more physical goods today than we ever have in our history. But we do it with fewer workers than we ever have in our history. Not ever in our history, but uh, it's been steadily downgrading, even though our population is rising. The number of people who have jobs manufacturing stuff has been going down for 20 years. And if you're one of those people in an industry where this is what I know, and every year there's fewer jobs going after by the same number of people, that's not a pleasant thing to be in. Hello, um, all of Ohio. (laughs) we're looking at you buddy get Um, out of ohio all right well let's get into the movies here because there are a ton of movies in the first segment not all terribly notable but um uh, i want to burn through most of these so we can talk about the two big ones okay tai chi master what do you need to know it's directed by yin wu ping it's got jet lee and michelle yo all right you already know this movie you You know you know what's going on if you know you know it and it's going to fucking rule. And you should watch it. There you go. Ed and his dead mother, I think of as American comedy dead alive. Starring yeah. Steve Buscemi, Ned Beatty, and Miriam Margulies about a guy whose mom dies. And brought and back by magic? She's brought back by magic for all of $1,000. Yeah. And <laughs> then she's uh, horrible. I have to ask the question that all of our listeners are thinking. Mm-hmm. Has your dog ever dressed as Ed from this movie? Played by he Steve has- Buscemi. He has not. Ah, uh, oh, I think no. we know next Halloween costume. That's true. Every year he is he is a Steve Buscemi character. This year I got him an astronaut costume so he could be from Armageddon. It didn't fit. 
He hated it. I put just the helmet on him, and he made a look on his face just like, I hate you so much right I now. I saw the picture. I was like- yeah, I, It was one of the best pictures I've ever taken. I can't him. tell if Diana's half-assing it or Steve is grumpy and disagreeable. Steve is not, not having it. He, and Steve he really is looking hated- at Diana and saying, I am only wearing this if I don't have to pay taxes for the rest of my life. There you go. Yeah. I, it was Title. almost as bad as the year before when he was Mr. Pink. I tried to get a little go- goatee on him. That wasn't happening. Wow. But I got the, the tie and, and the glasses. Uh, yeah. <laughs> next movie up I saw, but it was one of those weird instances that I saw it in school and never anywhere else and had a really hard time hunting it down when I tried to revisit it. But I can't remember if it was one of those movies that was prescribed to schools the way we were kind of forced to watch Schindler's List or if it was the te- the teacher's own personal compassion for the homeless. Matt Dillon, Danny Glover in The Saint of Fort Washington. I think it's available on the Warner Archive collection. It is not streaming uh it didn't get a lot of cable play and it made like a hundred thousand dollars at the box office but uh a story of two homeless men and i believe new york i remember even at the time this is pretty maudlin performance heavy and i don't know if these people have met a homeless person in their life but a lot of yeah. uh, compliments on dylan's performance yeah every review i said saw said like yeah this is kind of maudlin the performances are really strong and especially because it's about like matt Dillon becomes homeless and then he meets up at this encampment with danny glover and i was like oh god do we have a magical negro situation no he's not there to fix the white boy's problems Mm -hmm. he he has his own goddamn problems he's danny glover and he's awesome like okay cool that's better than i was expecting from 1993 right good for you and then up next uh james russo Harvey Keitel and a lady with one name, Madonna in A Dangerous Game. I thought I saw Oh my gosh, Madonna Madonna is hunted by sport, right? (laughs) Uh, Voguing is the the bullets whiz past her. Well, no, she could be like Wonder Woman if she has gauntlets on, she could vogue and that could deflect the bullets. What if she's the huntress? (gasps) Oh, That's the better role for her. That would mean the dangerous game here is probably lust or love. Ugh. Yes, Gross. It, it is. It, it's an Abel Ferrara movie, so it's going to be about ah, how unpleasant. gross and horrible people are, and yeah. they are. And at the end, they learn that the real treasure is horniness all along. Yeah. <laughs> horniness got... we found along the way. <laughs> horniness uh... along the way. Yeah, this got pretty rough reviews. I've never made it all the way through it because I find Abel Ferrara like a little edgelordy for me. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um well, he's trying to have a Mary Sue director who is himself. This yeah, is about it's... this like artsy, fartsy director who is so emotionally challenged. Oh. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's one of Madonna's better performances because she usually is pretty bad, except for like a league of their own. <laughs> you know, like, who's that girl? I, well, yeah, I would... that's fine. And same same with the Evita because she doesn't have to do dialogue. <laughs> Breathless Mahoney, she played decently because that character was a cartoon. Yeah. Yeah, but that's always been the problem with Madonna. It's just she's, she's such an interesting person. And then acting-wise, it can get pretty I wonder if she'd be decent playing like some bit part today where it's like, Ooh. you know, you're watching some serious drama and it's like, oh my gosh, that's Madonna playing an obvious Madonna-like character. I mean, Mm. she's going to have to want to because I think that's always the drawback of getting someone who 
Hiring someone who is a thousand times more rich and famous than you and then trying to direct them, they're busy. Uh, they think they know what they're doing and they're hard to direct. And I imagine that's Madonna's Is she no busy though? I would imagine not now. She's probably busy. No, she was just under, out on tour. Her, her own terms. Really? Probably. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, she's out on. Or she was out on tour. I think she had to cancel a show because she wasn't well. Something. I, yeah. I'm sorry. All she's the Swifties there. just sucked up all my concert knowledge. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then we get to our two biggies this week. Oh uh, no, you skipped one. Oh, which I did. I can summarize yes. in two words: man's best friend with Ali Sheedy and Lance Hendrickson. The dog is evil. No, okay. he's a hellhound. But it's a really super dog. Okay. Yeah. Not only does this dog pee acid. Not only does this dog climb up a tree like a panther, but this dog, upon learning that you drive your car, knows enough to crawl underneath your car and chew through your brake lines. Chris, (laughs) if I shoved you under a car with a pair of scissors and said, cut the brake lines, would you have a clue what to cut? I think we we would... uh... We would do a smash cut to 20 minutes later and JR saying, like, why isn't my radio not working? That's this is what would happen. Uh, this is what would happen. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's like a genetically modified Terminator dog. And, and he's evil. Just the silliest poster you've ever seen with Lance Hendrickson pointing a laser weapon at a cyborg dog. Wonderful. Yeah. You can remake that. It's such a fun comedy. Oh, yeah. Terminator dog. Mm-hmm. The original slogan was Jaws with Paws. Hey. <laughs> uh, uh, right. I should send them $5 for that. That's brilliant. Let's move on to our, our biggies here because I think we're, we're just starting to get movies with this guy, Hugh Grant. Mm-hmm. Ben Chaplin, Peter Vaughn, Christopher Reeve, James Fox, Emma Thompson, Anthony Hopkins in The Remains of the Day. It is of how its end comes The Remains of the Day. Lordship's been the most valuable pawn that the Nazis have in this country. You'll have to let them go. They choose. In a time of war. If you dismiss my girls tomorrow, it will be wrong. He was about to discover one last chance. Why do you always have to hide what you feel? A chance to open his heart. Starring Academy Award winners Anthony Hopkins. Be lost without her. And Emma Thompson. The Remains of the Day, 8.30. <laughs> they won the award yet? Um... Yeah, no, well, Not Hopkins won two years before for Silence of the Lambs, and Emma Thompson won the year before for Howard's End, where she was also oh. paired with Anthony Hopkins, even though they're 20 years age difference. I was going to say, like, I, in a one TV household, these all blur together, but I, I'm pretty sure I saw this. Uh, this uh, this is the the jump the shark moment, the, the, the absolute pinnacle of the prestige British costume drama of the late 80s, early 90s, where... Merchant Ivory was a brand, and that's the production team of director, producer, mm-hmm. uh, James Merchant and, uh, or no, Ishmael Merchant and James Ivory making these, <laughs> um, you know, very fancy adaptations of books. This is, instead of being like an Edith Wharton novel or something, this is uh, a more, much more modern novel by uh, uh, Kazuo Ishiguro, who went to my alma mater, Go UEA, fighting. Um, concretes and uh, <laughs> that ad makes it look like it is a world war ii drama which it that's a subplot but really it is about um british class system man, i would say man, it's about a man who realizes he wasted his life yes he wasted it. i mean it's also about like living in service of being a professional servant like something out of so downton abbey if you enjoyed that you might find this interesting 
but also that like that means sacrificing self. He's an appliance and he is a really good appliance. He has perfected the art of being the best appliance ever, that when he is in a room, it feels more empty. It's about him serving uh, this fancy Lord James Fox. And then he starts getting involved in uh, the goings on on the continent with this Hitler chap. And uh, it does not go well. And at the same time, Emma Thompson is the housekeeper and like they're friends and friendly, but also he has killed all emotion within him and he doesn't know what to do about it. And it's fucking good. You know, I can't call it. It's like, it's not a wacky fun romp, but it's also not depressing. It's just very moving and beautifully made. And the performances, like everything is so tiny and so fucking subtle. You can't be on your phone. You got to watch it. But it's also just wonderful and romantic in very unexpected ways. Hey, Huge recommend from me. This is not homework. I know it seems like a very serious film, Uh but you will be pulled in very quickly. These characters are real. These characters are great. Uh, Big recommend. Mm. And uh, and then moving on to what I consider the... Biggest, best of show. Let's keep JR through in the oh, critic okay, yes. parodies because they're. Yes, yeah. so we are reaching peak critic parodies because we're going to be talking about the critic next year. But because of the length of animation, a lot of the parodies in the first season of the critic are movies that are coming out this year. It's almost so, all 1993 movies that first year. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and and so it's very hard for me to think of any of the movies without thinking of their critic parody here you go i want you to have my tea cozy i know it's fallen into disrepair but you could make it grand again dear mrs dinwiddie i shall treasure it forever come tea cozy find comfort in my bosom one last time it's just a ratty old tea cozy Book and a bookcase falls on him. Yeah. That is Howard's end summarized in about uh, 20 seconds. Good job. <laughs> well, uh, let me summarize this next movie uh, perfectly. The perfect sequel. They're very rare. We were going to talk about sequels that I think are better than the original again this this week. I don't, I, I don't is, know. I far and away prefer this. I don't know if I'm there because well, the first one's so wonderful and everything's rooted together instead of splitting people up to tower style um mm. but it is amazing and i i love it's technically a summer movie but when it came out and its subject matter makes this one of the ultimate thanksgiving movies don't jo- this Cusack. is referenced in thanksgiving so much yeah. you will see memes of the thanksgiving scene all the time right. and it's... you don't see the summer camp scenes memed for summer yes uh no, jo- but if if you think this coming Thanksgiving when I pull that turkey out of the oven, I don't go. I am a turkey. Eat me. Eat me. <laughs> You're wrong. Uh, Joe Cusack, Christina Ricci, Christopher Lloyd, Raul Julia, Angelica Houston. It's number one, baby. Adam's family values, and it never should have stopped happening. God damn. I'm going to have a baby right now. It's the return to tradition. Welcome home, my son. It's the return to the great outdoors. Summer camp. Our man has already skipped two grades. How about your boy? Probation. It's the return of family values. You still desire me, the old ball and chain? Forever. I'll get them. Adam's family values. What? I didn't say anything. That's the baby's nickname. What? Rated PG-13. Yeah, son of it is what? Uh, I watched this uh, for Halloween at a friend's request and like, didn't want to argue. This is, 
This isn't the most Halloween Adam Sandler movie, but I approve because this movie fucking rules. It's I think it's hard to top the first Adams Family, and like everyone, I remember at the time adults around me like first one was really good, and the critics are saying this one's even better. Like that, I remember my dad, and my uncle, like that can't be possible, right? Like, and we go and see it as a family, and it, it turns out to be true. It might, it's most people's preference because everything gets a little heightened. Yeah, I it's it's definitely my preference because so much more of the movie takes place outside of the Adams family home. So they are fish out of water and that helps that that they they hang one of the plots on Christina Ricci, who is such a fucking all star mm-hmm. in these movies. That's one of the smartest things they ever did. Just yeah, let's set him in a center summer camper. She's surrounded by blonde girls, probably all named Jennifer. Well, that's and my favorite the thing. only smarter thing they could do with her is recast her as Morticia Adams in the mm. current day. How Ooh. awesome would that be? Yeah. That was cool. She was on that Wednesday show. And, um, yeah. That was, uh, but still, no. Uh, this, yeah, but let's, it, let's hang it on the evil child. It's more, it's yes. more what, in my opinion, keeps the tone moving along so well. The first movie, The Adams Family, are this beautiful, we are centered on them, yet they are this beautifully ridiculous atonal family that the rest of the world reacts to but we get to meet another corner of the world that is just as ridiculous like the camp counselors and peter mcnichol and christine baranski are cartoons wonderful wonderful cartoons and like the perfect nemesis for a child of the adams family it's it, it maintains you think taking them out of their environment would suck it's awesome and no, I think that's the smartest thing to do. And to have, yeah. you know, the other plot is honestly the same plot as Beverly Hillbillies. We just talked about where, yes, in, interloper gold digger shows up and pulls Christopher Lloyd out of the house and puts him in a different environment. And that's hilarious. Like, you know, him with his, his stupid Miami vice colored suit and his, his really wig. bad wig. Stop scratching it until <laughs> until until the uh, the scab falls off. Oh. Christopher Lloyd's and, commitment yeah, to, to being grotesque, Joan- just grotesque physically at all times oh, is wondrous. <laughs> Joan Cusack, where is the Oscar for this performance? She is so much fun. And hot. What the fuck? Ridiculously hot. And I love that that's all it's, all she has to do is just imply that she has boobs and Christopher Lloyd just dies. <laughs> the hair and the dress. It also killed. has... What some of the filthiest jokes for yeah. what's essentially a family movie? I mean, besides a lot of her stuff, the idea of the, I totally forgot that, that there is a throwaway line of uh, Uncle Fester saying he's lonely and uh, and uh, his brother telling him like, "Well, you have Thing, who's <laughs> He is just uh. a hand. and Thing looks scared and runs away. That is the filthiest yeah. fucking joke. <laughs> the- I love it. N- the 90s were more sexual th- than today. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Media was much more comfortable with sexuality than you will see it today. Yeah, that's yep. that's like almost everything that is pushing the envelope is doing so sexually, or at least with sexual words that were initially forbidden from any kind of airing on cable or otherwise. Yep. You just kind of, well, the kids aren't going to get that, so mm-hmm. we can get away with it. So, yeah, I want to shout out Paul Rudnick, who's the screenwriter, yeah. who... He is a ridiculously funny writer, but his films have been hit or miss. His plays are a lot better. And his columns. He used to write the column for premieres, Libby Gilman Waxner. Yeah, but this, Those this were pretty fun. movie is absolutely and this fantastic. One, it is like it is him. Like you can tell his his tone, the 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 silliness, the sarcasm, the 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 threat of being put in the harmony hut 
Ugh. watching all the movies I, I grew up watching. It's no. it's it's wonderful. It's po- it it helps you poke fun at yourself and I I think it's bizarre. Well, don't think about why the kids are performing a Thanksgiving play at summer camp. At the <laughs> er, absolute earliest it's the first week of August. And but isn't it weird that this movie's version of making Thanksgiving macabre is just what the modern view of Thanksgiving is? I think that's part of what keeps it timeless at this point i mean like no one no one yes wears and no though you go into hobby lobby you don't see this version of thanksgiving it's true know? but the I, version I don't... of thanksgiving that is very popular still in people's homes and people's hearts and people's stores is not this thing where's my wednesday all. was yeah. right t-shirt that's what I'm... i think we should start making them <laughs> wednesday's completely right it's, <laughs> yes our, my people will be dispossessed and your people will sit around drinking highballs but yeah, yes, <laughs> burn, burn the pilgrims. I think that's part Revenge of what, for our ancestors. what keeps it timeless when you're on Twitter and learning the truth about Thanksgiving as a teenager. Like there's this wonderful movie that does a cinematic production of it that is glorious. It really, really yeah. is. I this has so many just wonderful fucking moments. The moment of Wednesday, Adam smiling for the first time is oh. one of the most oh, beautiful things Fabulous physical acting. comedy of just the face ever and the, the other just like, she's scaring me yeah ah. probably yeah, probably my she's a fucking all-star uh and my my introduction to david crumholtz a guy i've like yeah, got excited david to see Krumholtz. ever since up to and including recently in oppenheimer and yeah <laughs> little brother crumholtz he's so cute of just everything can kill him so so wednesday loves him <laughs> even you'd think she'd want more of a you know i don't know more of a challenge I guess it's also the feeling of like, yeah, I could just take you out with laundry detergent anytime I feel like it. And he's, he's, got a fa- mean, he's got a father's mustache. I do not mm. think the Adams view death the way you and I view death. Death is just like walking through a door to them. They have zero concern if they themselves are killed. So therefore, they can't concern themselves if other people are killed. It's a party they can't wait to go to. And if you have that many ailments... You might be a yeah. VIP. Yeah. Well, and they also have, you know, it's a cartoon resetting where it's like, we see that she has a girl tied up and is going to set fire to her. And then later we see, no, they're fine. They're on the plane home. Don't worry about it. They're not even, <laughs> not even a bandaid on the forehead. They're, they're fine. But it's just so funny. And so like, yeah, I don't know which Adam's family I like more because of how much I liked our rewatch of Adam's family. Cause they're both pretty perfect mm-hmm. shrouded in tragedy by like, Raul Julia's problems being a little more noticeable on this production. He is dead in it within a year, I think, of this release. Yeah. And yeah. He he was sick at the time. Um, it was there were rumors that he had AIDS because he right. was losing so much weight and becoming gone. He had stomach cancer, which mm-hmm. yeah, obviously you're gonna lose weight and start having problems with, you know, not being able to keep your energy up. And god damn it, he he fuck because he's a fucking pro. He he made it through. And he's still so much fun. And, and just uh, imagine th- this is not as big a hit as the first movie, but a fucking moneymaker. You know, this wasn't supposed to end, but there was like, what no. do we do about Julia? Like, we're not. Do we replace him? Like, and I think I would say now and then just don't bother. Like, mm-hmm. wait a while and reset it. There's do not replace that man. Yeah, they went to they went to straight to video after this with I want to say Tim Curry. Yeah, but it, it took several That's years. That's a good call. But yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think they just didn't... It, we didn't think of everything as franchises back mm-hmm. then. I don't think they had everyone set to do eight of these, you know? Which mm-hmm. is kind of a bummer because they could have kept going. 
I think Just JR had pointed out yeah. a while ago, like there aren't a lot of comedy trilogies anyway. There's usually one burning hot success, a follow up with diminishing returns. This is a rare exception in the 90s. Yep. So please do it to enjoy Adam's Family Values streaming somewhere. Uh, probably Paramount yep. Plus, given the, given yep. the nature Perfect of Perfect for Thanksgiving. We have a bunch really, of Thanksgiving movies. There aren't a yeah. lot of Thanksgiving movies I enjoy because it's like great families fighting, planes, trains, and automobiles. Adam's family values. Thanks, killing. That's perfect. Yeah, <laughs> and they, you know, they have a nice wedding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so the whole family gets together. They yeah. play sunrise sunset on their terrifying organ, which I laugh. That for some reason, I remember seeing this in the theater. I laughed so fucking hard. I like missed the next scene. I don't know why that was so funny to me. <laughs> okay, well, got to talk about a lot more right. in television. Moving on, Moving on to TV, uh, November seventeenth through the twenty second, nineteen ninety three. Holy Lord. It's fun to remember what a giant joke the debut of the Food Network is. Who would watch such a stupid, <laughs> stupid channel? Yep. It, it, the it took... expanding niche market of cable. We just talked yeah. about Sci-Fi Network premiering. And that was like, whoa, you're going to have a network about Sci-Fi and you've got a network about cartoons. Right. This is getting pretty crazy. And then the Food Network comes on and people are just like, okay, okay this is peak. It's going to crash from here on out. No way can you have a... I, I remember about food, but. reading about it because it's it's bizarre to think of television and you know the tiny little monoculture of those three giant stations where they have to represent everything. We got news, we got reruns, we have uh, sitcoms, we have dramas, we have sci-fi, we have westerns, we have action. When cable came out, it's like every one of those will now be its own channel. <laughs> The thing nobody liked that I think somebody had written, nobody liked, liked the food segment of the Today Show the most. Or <laughs> why make a whole channel out of it? And I, I remember it took another seven or so years to really take off with people my age, but we would have been around mm-hmm. 20. And it, yeah, but it really it, took well, off. Yeah, it took off about three, two or three years in. The Emerald era. <laughs> Emerald, Mario Batali, Bobby Flay. Mm-hmm. Alton Brown doing Good Eats. Those are all like late 90s. This start in the late 90s. And but yeah, just the idea of like, who's going to watch cooking shows all day? Like, why well, would I watch? Uh, want to watch a segment of Good Morning America for an hour over and over and over again? Yeah. And, well, first of all, it depends on the host. Yep. It depends on what they're cooking. And also, like, there's a lot you can do with the concept of food. Yep. You can do travel shows. Mm-hmm. I like travel shows. Yep. So maybe I'll watch it. I think arguably food is more universal than a movie. So it, it technically had a better shot than the movie channel. Have you seen the Food Network today, 30 years later? No. It should be called the Edible Game Show channel. Uh, because it is it is no longer very instructional. It's semi-instructional. It's always kind of instructional. But it is everything is competitive. Every single show is a competitive show with a winner or a loser at the end. Where... A bunch of experts Which, come on and make the... When do you cook at that? Like, when do you cook like that? When do you have your friends <laughs> over and go, I'm going to cook a dish, yes. you gonna, you're going to cook a dish at the same time, and then one of us is going to win. And, and one of us is going to feel like a loser at the end? God damn, that's harsh. They're <clears> cupcakes, <throat> people. Everyone wins. More cupcakes. <laughs> but Food Network, 30 years old, and has, like, I think, three or four other spinoff channels, including a cooking channel, if you want just that. Uh Simpsons, another fantastic episode you think goes too far. Boy Scouts in the Hood, but it's wonderful. (laughs) This is, I really feel like we're at peak Simpsons. Every line in this 
episode is gold. I could take a clip from random and you would laugh your ass off. But this is the one where it starts out with Homer looking for peanuts and then he drops it under the couch. So he finds $20. Buy many peanuts. He, he can buy many peanuts. $20. Explain how. <laughs> Money can be exchanged for goods and services. Woo! <laughs> and then the $20 flies into the air. It lands in Bart's hand. He uses it to buy a squishy made entirely out of syrup. Oh, and I don't know if you've ever done that. I've gone to some squishy machine like things where you can do your own right, syrup. The slush puppy. There is diminishing returns, people. Mm. There gets to be a point where it's just god awful. But uh, they get on that. a obviously drug trip. It yep. is just full on. These kids aren't on drugs, but we all know what's going on here. And I, I is, think and is it, this where Millhouse wants to go crazy Broadway style? Yes. Because I yes. say that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yes. What do you want to do? Let's go crazy Broadway style. Springfield, Springsfield, it's a hell of a town. But I think yeah. that that's the magic of The Simpsons right now in this period is that I was trying to mansplain that to my lady friend this weekend because, you know, not a huge fan of The Simpsons. And you need that context for The Simpsons. If you were kind of like, I don't love anything on TV right now. Simpsons comes along and like really flips its finger at traditional formats and values and pacing. And The Simpsons in this era, JR, I think they're burning through every traditional sitcom plot, but tackling it completely differently. In any show where there's a kid, there's an episode where they join the Scouts or a part of the Scouts. This does not do any of that <laughs> at all. Oh, um, and just that they get there. They through, get there through drugs. <laughs> Park got high on squishy. And it's not even the end of the hallucinations. The they almost die. Uh, they get stranded. Uh, it's Homer comes so close to killing them so many times. I mean, it is just mistake after mistake. But before they get there, Homer does do this to Bart. And I do want to ask, is this the birth of jerk ass Homer because this is not a father speaking to his son right now. This is not a human being talking to a kid right now. Okay. <laughs> I cannot imagine a homo sapien saying this to a little kid studying. Well, if it isn't the leader of the Wiener Patrol boning up on his nerd lessons. Homer, you should be more supportive. You're right, Marge. Good work, boy. <laughs> Funny as F. Hilarious. Not something a real father would ever do ever. Yes, I think, well, it's a slow, I don't know where jerk-ass Homer's true beginnings are, but when Homer starts verbalizing what he knows what he's doing rather than absent-mindedly doing something. And <laughs> this seems pretty vindictive and intentional. Uh and Great. he's doing it to a kid with a pocket knife. And who's, who's That's the dangerous. Guy, who's our dead guest star in this? Uh, is Ernest Borgnine. Ernest Borgnine. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, <laughs> then moving on to Seinfeld, the masseuse episode. Okay. This. this is another one of those things when I rewatch it and I go, huh, did a fundamental part of my personality develop because I watched a sitcom in the early 90s? <laughs> so play this clip. Mm. And you're taking... Jody the masseuse. Oh, hey, did you get a massage yet? No. How many times do I have to go out with her before I get a massage? 
Jerry, she gives massages all day. She doesn't want to give them on dates. Yeah, I know. She just wants to have sex. <laughs> so what? So it's like going to Idaho and eating carrots. I like carrots, but I'm in Idaho. I want a potato. <laughs> that is 100% me. When I did drive through Idaho, I was like, I have to get a potato. I absolutely have to get a potato here. But watching this as a 15-year-old, I was like, how on earth could you ever want anything but sex? As a 45-year-old, you know, <laughs> doing the math, probably had sex somewhere around 3,000 times in my life, you know, Jesus. plus or minus 500. I'm surprised you, you know, can sit up and record this show. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking over, you know, 25-plus years here, but I have received three professional deep <laughs> massages in my life. Mm -hmm. So today, if it was like professional massage, sex, I'm sorry, I would be far, far more excited about the professional massage than I would be sex. And I have also now, I've dated a masseuse. Mm -hmm. And she didn't say this. And it is a she. I'm sorry to disappoint. Uh, mixing sex and that isn't fun because she spends all day dodging advances Mm. sexual like mm. keeping that separate keeping those things separated and e yeah. even i uh, talking to a girl and like we should record a podcast and like no i'm not i'm not blending pleasure in this not not exactly <laughs> that's what it comes down to it's like that is her job mm -hmm. she has it she is in a work mindset when she does that job when she's off she doesn't want to have to think of jerry her boyfriend as a client you yeah. know she doesn't have to it's like she's yeah no <laughs> I, I, i'm not saying she's in the wrong here I, at, at all oh yeah, yeah i know what you're saying yeah yeah a deep still massage like, sounds really awesome it yeah. does so it's yeah and really i love how awesome. he keeps just sort of accidentally putting her hands onto his shoulders just <laughs> just oh he gets just a super bit, creepy a little bit he's like full-on uh skis mode 100 percent. yeah like, i understand massages are nice but no no it's no you stop trying to get a free massage you want a massage you pay for it damn it that's her job. Yeah. My friend had to stand in a certain position. So, because the first thing the dudes do to start up, like, hey, is this this kind of massage? Is they go for the legs. So she's mm -hmm. got to do like a lean <laughs> so the arm can't, can't initiate beginning with the legs. Uh, keeps that closeness out of it. Anyway, I didn't know about this. House of Cards British version part two to play the king. I have never seen a frame of this. I had definitely knew it was based on something British. I didn't know it was this long ago. Yeah. House of Cards. Don't know anything about it. Yeah, it started in 1990, the original. Good lord. Yeah, this is the British version of TV shows. Is, and now British says Britain's longest running television show. All nine episodes. <laughs> uh, something I have way more familiarity with in Mystery Science Theater 3000 this week. Donate uh, to their crowdfunding effort, folks. I'm a little worried about them, to be totally frank. Uh, but I think this is the first time, and I could be wrong on this, uh, this other fact. For me, though, I, I'm positive I saw some of the movies, like, on UHF channels with cable, but I never saw, like, the title sequence to know what I was watching. I know I'd seen part of that Godzilla movie. I know I'd seen part of They or Them. Alien from L.A. I saw before the Mystery Science Theater 3000 episode Alien from L.A., and I want to say it's the only movie I saw on Comedy Central before I saw the Mystery Science version on Comedy Central. <laughs> it could have been USA Up All Night. 
because that sounds like a USA. It does. All night. Yeah, it does. But I watched the whole thing because it was like Kathy Ireland is in a sleazy movie. The the, the number one model of the early nineties, and I think this is MST3K's in my era the most recent release to mystery science theaterfication. Five years, Alien from L.A., uh, it took them to hit Mystery Science, and everybody had a good attitude about it. It's a really fun movie. Kathy Ireland does her best. Has the most annoying <laughs> yes. voice I think I've heard in any movie. Yes. It is just like, okay, 1993, Jr. had a huge crush on Kathy Ireland, huge. Mm-hmm. But just hearing the voice out of that, I was like, I can't jerk off to this. Why did they... <laughs> Why did they let her do this? I'm like, oh, well, I guess she doesn't bring a lot else. And she makes her act a little harder. Don't ask me to regale you with the plot. It was just awesome to see like something made in my lifetime on Mystery Science Theater because it hadn't really happened yet. Uh, what's and I, I did love their song in tribute to Kathy Ireland. <laughs> wild Irish Ireland. Oh, Kathy, oh, Kathy, my wild Ireland lassie, you're not just an island to me. <laughs> you. With your sparkling green eyes and skin alabaster, you've stolen my heart, you see. Aww. Oh, Kathy, who squeaks with the voice of an angel, I don't think you're so <laughs> big a bone. What? I'd like to come over and roll in your clover and kiss your blarney stone. <laughs> <laughs> I've uh, I have many regrets in my life. One of them is I've never met an Irish girl that I could hit on and say I'd like to come over and roll in your clovers and kiss your Blarney Stone. Kiss your Blarney Stone. Implies a lot of other kisses. Uh, would you, I was shocked to learn looking into this episode? There's a sequel to this movie, and Kathy Ireland's in it. What, what? the hell? Yes. Uh, I, you know how I'm going to react mm-hmm. to that. Dull surprise. Yeah. Yes. And it has, it just has a Jules Verne title. I'm trying to remember what it is. Journey to the center of the earth or something like that. But it, nah. she plays the same character in it. Uh, moving on to our TV movies. Whew, uh, it's family time coming up on Turkey Day. Um, Johnny Galecki and Neil Patrick Harris star in the TV movie A Family Torn Apart. I have no idea what this is about. So this is um, salacious as fuck and is loosely based on a real thing about uh, this family that adopted a bunch of kids and then one of the kids was crazy and axe murdered them and then one of the other what? kids was like they thought he was guilty but i just love that we've got like it's it's a uh, 80s kid all-star week with yeah. us <laughs> we've got neil patrick harris johnny galecki we had david grumholtz <laughs> movie it's like yeah these are all people who, like grew up and had adult careers i love that i love that for them sweet uh we also have uh, a walton thanksgiving reunion with some walton Walton's- people Ended in 1981, I, but I they don't. kept doing this dust where they would have these little reunion specials for holidays, and some they, they tended to be very popular. The fucking Brady Christmas one, they, they tried to bring the show back after oh, it's, that. It's that, it's that dumb thing I keep reiterating with the um, we're only now entering the blockbuster VHS era. The Waltons is playing probably playing on TV every day. It's more beloved and seen by more people. In the, in the syndication era after it was over than it was when it was airing. And yep. yeah, it, it's a good bet. <laughs> and and yep, as was I the case know. with 80 sitcoms, not a lot of people went on to do other stuff after that. You get pretty typecast because of how ubiquitous you become on television. Yep. So, yeah. Never, never cared for Waltons. I think I was more of a little house kind of person anyway. I so. mean, like the memories are so fucking vague. I, I yeah. it, I didn't even I didn't even think about it until I started doing the show and the first season of Family Guy. 
Uh, <laughs> and then moving on to, uh, I'd say, a rather stellar week in games. Headed up by not so stellar <laughs> entries, <laughs> the Atari oh. Jaguar. This is Atari's last new system. Oh. Last new console system. Yeah. yeah, they were trying to do a sixty-four bit console, and that proved too ambitious, so they bumped it down to thirty-two bit. But what they did is they took kind of two systems and smashed them together in this Frankenstein method. And it it really wasn't – you could not run a Nintendo 64 in this at all. It, it wasn't really, it's really bizar- up to stuff. And it's not, a, it's not on a disc, which would become the better format for 3D experiences and high-fidelity sound. The emulation scene for this only kind of made this playable a few years ago for me. And I was shocked. Like, these are awful. And the best thing on the system is Tempest, a game with lines in it. <laughs> because it was incredibly hard to program. This yeah. was uh, programming for your consoles is not quite like programming for your PC. You got to do all these very specific things. And the further back you go, the more specific you've got to go. And Atari was rushing the system to market. So they didn't have good documentation to their programmers. And there was like uh, worksheets where it was like, we're not sure what's going to happen here. Hope you can figure it out. And so they didn't have a lot of good games for this. Uh, they kind of put all of their eggs in the uh, basket of Alien versus Predator. And that's mm. not a very good basket to hold eggs. You know, picture the alien head, <laughs> like all the eggs spilled out. Um, so nothing got programmed well. Nothing was good. And software sells a system. So it was just like dead on arrival. Yep. Uh, wow. Cybermorph. I'm, I'm... Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I'm, I'm looking at, uh, yeah, what's the history of all the different consoles coming out and saying it's almost exactly one year later the PlayStation 1 hits Japan. Yeah. And yeah. I think of what does the PlayStation 1 looks like? What does this look like? You guys are fucked. Yeah, totally fucked. You shouldn't have bothered. You shouldn't have even bothered. They are Bubsy 3D to Mario 64. Oh, we didn't know things were going to lean that way so hard. Whoops-a-daisy. Oh, Atari. But Cybermorp, Trevor McFur and the Crescent Galaxy Raider and Dino Dudes are out on the Jaguar, and I'm sure some moronic little rich kid listening was very happy. Uh, <laughs> in weirder news, I don't know, is it both Pac-Man and Miss Pac-Man? Yeah, both Pac-Man and Miss Pac-Man are released on Nintendo in 1993. I, that seems a little late, guys. I think Pac-Man had already come out. It was just on one of those unlicensed cartridges. That's it. There was an unlicensed... And it's like, hey, just as this system is closing, we finally got the legal Nintendo seal of Seal of approval, quality. yeah. It had to, it, the tie-up had to be something involving Nintendo or whatever Namco exclusivity there was, because I believe we already discussed this, the best version of Ms. Pac, console Miss Pac-Man there is, the Genesis Miss Pac-Man. That's already out. Why is this coming to NES right now? We are full of shrugs. We uh, we need a time machine and a lot more time. Ridge Racer is out in arcades, and I was having a... Ridge Racer. Even Diana knows that joke. Sweet. Even I know that joke. Uh, Ridge Racer was... Boy, did that burn too hot and too fast but it was a arcade experience the playstation one was able to translate let's say seamlessly at the time and became synonymous with a playstation brand that it made like 800 games in the first five years all indistinguishable but this is its arcade debut and it was an impressive looking polygonal arcade racer uh and uh 
in in much bigger news, these two games, uh, Mortal Kombat Two hits arcades. And did I hear Jr. reiterate my thoughts on that? Like Mortal Kombat One, I have a ton of nostalgia for. Mortal Kombat Two is the one you can go back and play. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. Uh, this is the one that gives you babeality when you can turn your opponents into a baby. Uh, and friendship, friendship, just because they're mocking all the people, making fun of how violent it is. Uh, but yeah, they improved every aspect of the game. This is probably the better version to play in the modern era if you want to get that Mortal Kombat feel. But it didn't have the cultural impact of one just because one was so fresh and new. Yeah, yeah. And then in equally notable news, Salmon Axe Hit the Road hits PC. Salmon Axe, baby. 30 years old. This is probably my favorite graphic adventure game of all time. I played this so much. This is LucasArts firing on all cylinders. This is when they've got their best design team, their best humor team, their best animation team, and the field of graphic adventure games is at its peak. This is when they were the most popular. They could put the most money at it because... They were really uh, selling more copies than they would in the future of the past. And this was based on Sam and Max, two incredibly funny characters who appeared in the new uh, LucasArts newsletter. newsletter. This is how committed yeah. they were to not making Star Wars and Indiana Jones games. Like, we think Steve's comic is great. Let's make it into <laughs> a full-blown humor adventure game. And the humor just slayed me in 1993. It was very avant-garde for a computer game, very surreal for a computer game, very risque for a computer game, and I lapped it up with a spoon. I could not get enough of this. I explored every nook and cranny of this game so that I could get every little funny thing they might possibly say. I even had this crazy idea of recording a video game. What? I know. <laughs> and my dad was like, that is stupid and dumb. And I'm impossible. not figuring out how to get the VCR to record your video game. No one will ever want to watch anyone play video games, JR. <laughs> uh, well, I, I mean, I don't even... I had figured out how to record my console gameplay, like PC gameplay. This is a big, giant mm. shrug. Like, if there was software or equipment, it was thousands and thousands of dollars to make that yeah. a reality. But it, I kept waiting for a sequel year after year after year. I just wanted a sequel, and I kept reading The Adventurer, LucasArts uh, magazine, uh, to see if there would ever be one. And they finally answered my prayers and said in 2002 that there would be a sequel. And then in March of 2004, they just canceled it. And ah. This was such a great series. I wish we had gotten as many of these as we did of Monkey Island. Uh, but yeah, it well, took I, a I long was... time for Telltale to come out with the new version. Up until recently, yes. The, of all the LucasArts adventure games, Sam and Max had the most longevity, or at least time in the modern gaming spotlight. It was remade first, had an episodic game first. But uh, Monkey Island, I think, caught up to it, if only for having numerous sequels during the adventure game LucasArts heyday. Okay, a, a rare a rare book here. Um, is this the this isn't the first one, is it? Um, no. Okay, uh, Sin City: A Dame for to Kill for is thirty years old. Yeah, this is peak Frank Miller. There you I go. I mean, <laughs> no, no, it is. No, so, I wa- know. Just uh... Watchmen came out in nineteen eighty six. 
300 came out in 1998. So he had basically a 13-year period when he's at the peak of his career. When most of the things we think about Frank Miller came in that 13-year period. Yes, he's had a 40-year history, but he's most famous for everything that's coming out in that 13 years. Yeah, and he's most famous recently. um, Just He occasionally will write one comic that's completely distasteful for modern readers. That's what he does nowadays because he's just a strange guy. He's Frank Miller. That's who he is. He's not the Watchmen guy, though. No, he's not the Watchmen guy. But I was going to say, but we just had RoboCop 3. Oh, jeez. Did I say... Frank, I didn't mean Watchmen. Sorry, that was my yeah. bad. No, it's all good. Yeah, it's okay. Sure you know. yeah, Dark Knight Returns. There you go. Right. Yeah. That's Dark what Knight. I meant to say. My my mistake. Yeah. Dark Knight Returns. Guess, yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, he's a busy guy. He just had a, a movie he co-wrote came, come out. And, and he disowned. <laughs> so he's, he's a little Alan. He's got a little Alan Moore in him. And, <laughs> yeah. And uh, we'll talk about the original Sin City in uh, like a year and a half. Okay, and uh, I don't want to talk about a dame to kill for, which we talk about next year. Oh fuck! Fuck! Uh, fuck! I don't want to talk about that movie. Uh, another book, actual book out this week: Catalina's Riddle by Stephen Saylor, and I'll hand it to Jr. <laughs> this is the Roma Sub Rosa series, Rome Under the Rose by Stephen Saylor, an incredible historical series all about a man who's very close to being a private detective in ancient Rome. They didn't have that position, but he's called Gordianus the Finder. And his whole thing is, I can figure out riddles. I can figure out mysteries. Wait, so would you say he's freelance police? Yes, exactly. He <laughs> like is Sam free- and Max there? Mm-hmm, I made exactly. a joke. I made a video game joke. Okay. Yep, good job. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but this is another entry in the series. I recommend every book in the series. Uh, it really puts you in the Roman mindset. I'm Facebook friends with the author. We talk every now and again. Oh and he was telling me about this story of uh, writing this book. And it was being translated into uh, Dutch. And uh, the translator came to a scene where Gordianus uh, is taking a nighttime stroll in the nude with steam coming off of his body next to a woman he's having sexual tension with. Now, he wrote that scene to be deliberately ambiguous. Uh, The story is told first person. Gordianus is recounting his tales, and he never says if anything sexual happened or not. The translator says, you know, in order to translate this, I need to know what's going to happen. Stephen Saylor, the author, says, I don't know. Uh, Gordianus was the one who was writing this, and he didn't say what was happened. So I don't know what was happening. I Mm. do not know if this character had sex or not. I can (laughs) guess, but it's just a guess. I can't tell you deliberately one way or another. All right. Well, then capping off 30 years ago, 1993, with the music from November 17th to the 22nd, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that by Meatloaf is still number one. But also new releases include uh, Take As Needed for Pain by I Hate God Clever. The album by Hathaway. This is what, what is love is off of? Or the other you one. You goddamn right it is. Yeah. Uh, the Beavis and Butthead Experience, one of the weirdest albums ever made. Yeah. So obviously seeing these two together, you know, we're either closing the show with What is Love by Hathaway or Beavis and Butthead and Cher singing <laughs> You Babe. It has to be one or the other. That video is still profoundly leave. entertaining. And <laughs> it's been cleaned up and on YouTube. It's awesome. It's so dumb. Da, 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 da. Uh, <laughs> also featuring Nirvana's I Hate Myself and I Want to Die. 
Interesting. Uh, High Tech Redneck by George Jones. Pale Sun, Crescent Moon by Cowboy Junkies. The Spaghetti Incident by Guns N' Roses. Their cover album with Charles Manson songs. Good for you guys. And uh, Doggy Style, the solo debut of Snoop Dogg, which is on Rolling Stone's Best 500 Albums list and was felt like all the world was listening to in my world of 1993. Mm-hmm. Uh, good lord. Did I listen to that album a lot? Um, yep. So with that, we'll go out with Gin and Juice by Snoop Dogg. Arguably the most famous song on the album. Most enduring. And I think uh, Snoop Dogg's most favorite famous song, period. Man. Yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, but mm. Gin and Juice will take us out. But don't go anywhere. we got a lot more to talk about when we get back to there. With so much drama in the LBC, it's kind of hard being Snoop D-O-double G, but I somehow, someway, keep coming up with funky ass shit like every single day. May I kick a little something for yeah. the G's and make a few ends as I breeze through two in the morning and the party still jumping because my mama ain't home. Would you like exclusive bonus podcast commentaries and more from the Laser Time crew? then we strongly encourage you to support this show on patreon.com slash laser time. It supports not only this show, but all the rest of the Laser Time Network. You'll get commentaries, play games with the hosts, see exclusive videos first, and receive an uncut weekly ad-free podcast bonus time. Speaking of which, here's a quick taste. The 1980s were the golden age of mean hard R comedies. I think I was remembering my sanitized commercial television viewings because, like, Beverly D'Angelo is naked for, like, no reason, and I totally forgot about that. I had forgotten all about that because that shocked me, too. I was like, wait a minute. she We see her boobies a couple of times. I don't remember that. This might be a fact. This is the fourth National Lampoon movie? I was shocked to find that out because there's two I have never seen or heard of between Animal House. Two that are kind of lost. One of them's called uh, National Lampoon Goes to the Movies. And Class then, Reunion. Hmm, Class Reunion. Yeah, that's right. I think this is the last movie that where it's clearly defined, like Harold Ramis is involved in this in some way. Like we have some DNA of people who yeah. worked at National Lampoon Magazine. Mm-hmm. And now it's just kind of like anything goes. Now well, it's kind that, of like stoner frat comedies, but not always. They, it's really they, the company doesn't exist and they sold the I name. Heard- to put on shitty movies that are like already being made, I believe, and they just okay. they'll affix the National Lampoons. I guess the R is for the, the magazine's reputation itself. It was pretty hmm. fucking edgy for for its time. Get bonus time, a weekly uncensored and commercial free podcast every Tuesday, starting for just five dollars on patreon.com slash laser time. Coming in with Did My Time by Korn off of Take a Look in the Mirror. Because we're 10 years past doggy style, people, into the year of 2003, November 17th to the 23rd. New releases include Let It Be Naked by the Beatles. Yeah. See, they keep releasing Beatles stuff, even if you're not paying attention. This this was one I was looking forward to, actually, because it's Let It Be with all the heavy strings and Phil Spector stuff stripped out. Mm. And it improves some songs and does nothing for some others. It's almost as if they find a way to release new Beatles stuff every 10 years at around this time. <laughs> they must, it's Christmas. Yeah. Uh, a Present for Everyone by Busted. 
Turn It On by uh, Ronan Keating. It's also out at last by Cindy Lauper. The self-titled Blink-182 album. Oh, but it gets better. Collide by Skillets. I Can't Stop by Al Green. <laughs> Didn't expect yeah. him in there. Uh, I'm I'm One of You by Hank Williams Jr. Not likely. Uh, Room to Breathe by Reba McIntyre. Under Constructions by Timberland and Magoo. Bad Boy by Beyonce featuring Sean Paul is still number one. Little bit of news to bring in the wonderful world of 20 years ago in 2003, November 17th to the 22nd. Almost 10 years from the moment he's cut from the Pepsi ad campaign, Michael Jackson is once again arrested. Well, was he arrested before? Nope. Uh, no, he was investigated. Nope. Um, arrested on charges of molestation. Yeah. yeah. Actual criminal charges this time, including mm-hmm. uh, intoxicating a minor, molesting, Jesus attempted Jesus. molestation, uh, one kind of extortion. Uh, that was fun. Mm. Uh, yeah. Actually fucking arrested, goes on trial. The trial is madness, and he is acquitted in 2005. Yep. And uh, in other celebrity news, Carmen Electra marries Dave Navarro, seemingly so they could get together and give birth to a reality show. It is not to be. <laughs> it lasts uh, until 2007. 2007. Yeah. Uh, just as Alien from L.A. was the youngest movie to get a Mystery Science Theater 3000 episode, Britney Spears, at 21, becomes the youngest singer to get a... Uh, star on the hollywood walk of fame that is that is she is cruising as far as celebrity yep. goes that is that is th- and it's smooth sailing for her here on out <laughs> uh yeah she's come a long way but uh that, that's pretty impressive there's a lot of posthumous people who get awarded stars stars in the hollywood walk of fame and it is like an electoral process is it not like um mm-hmm. yeah and you have to pay for it and you have to pay for it um yeah. And on the other side of the pond in England, the Local Government Act of 2003 repealing controversial anti-gay amendment section 28 becomes effective. What, Yay! I don't remember this at all. What does that entail? Section 28 was passed under the Thatcher. Boo! Hiss! And it made promotion of homosexuality illegal. Yeah, it's, oh, it's what basically... What does that mean? Well, it it's means, pretty similar to Russia's laws today. Yes. Honestly. Yeah. Mm. yeah, we know what that means. That means you can't acknowledge gay people exist. It yeah. means you can't do that. It means and V for Vendetta makes bullshit. a lot more sense. That's what it means. Yeah, it, <laughs> it, it's some straight up bullshit. And that's basically what some far right groups are trying to do here in America of just like, you just can't promote it. And by promote it, I mean it shouldn't exist. Yes. Like, well, uh, how about we not promote heterosexuality? That's caused a lot more harm in the world. Unenforceable, moronic, conservative red meat. Yeah, it's um, just there to scare people into not being out. Right. It, it or next... ever acknowledging it. Uh, yeah, it's bullshit. Fuck them. Fuck them in the ear as we get into the movies. Because at first movie up, for my money, best movie we got to talk about this week. Kang Hong Jong. Yeah. Yu Jai Tae. Uh, how do I say his name? Choi? Chow? Choi Minsky. Choi Minsky. Out of South Korea... Chan Wook Park's old boy. Yeah. So I'm fudging the dates just a tiny bit, like a week or two. We're talking about the Korean release because mm-hmm. we're going to talk about the American remake 10 years later yuck, this yuck, same week. Yuck, so I wanted yuck. to put them, wanted to put them together, but because we don't get old boy until 2005 here in the States and it drives everyone insane because this comes out in Korea is a huge hit. And then it starts playing the uh, festival circuit. 2004, it is in competition at Cannes where the head of the jury is Quentin Tarantino. Mm. If you think he did not wet himself repeatedly over this movie, he has gone on to say it's a movie he wish he had made. 
It's absolutely wonderful. And what I, I really meant to do, it got a theatrical re-release because I have the Blu-ray and it still kind of looks like shit. <laughs> and I, I believe, I'm hoping, I haven't looked into it, I'm more hoping here that they have a new remaster of it out I, for its 20th anniversary. That's what I thought I, 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 I heard. I believe they do. Because I believe they do, and it's going to some theaters. Yeah, it's in theaters now. Hood, it's in it's, theaters it's, right it's, now. Yeah, it's being re-released. I would love to see this on a big screen because this is one of the most beautiful, ugly movies in yes. every oh, so ugly. sense of the word. So I did a double feature of this and then the 2013 one back-to-back, -back, and I planned to do that. And at the end of this one, I was just like, am I really going to watch this story again yeah right now yeah i gave myself 24 hours i'm like i'm gonna sit with this one and then i'll go watch the other I one did, I did this not... one i wanted to sit with shout out to uh my one of my best friends and former roommates tyler wild uh this came out on demand i'm like ooh, dude let's watch old boy the remake and we did and all i did was like scream and I'm like, dude, I had never asked this. Can we just put on the original like right afterwards? And he, because he's just smiling like, fine. And we watched, he watched the original right after the remake, which I just can't bear to watch again. Because the things that are icky in this are way more pronounced and icky and stupid <laughs> in the remake. Well, I, no, I don't, I feel like, no, I feel like this is definitely the ickier one. And besides it having the reputation of being like, oh, wow, this is a great, this is an amazing movie. It really had the reputation of like, you got to see this movie. It's got the craziest shit ever in it. Oh, my God. He eats a live octopus on screen. And then there's this big fight where he's got a fucking hammer. And it's like extreme. It, 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 it should be noted. I just it, it brings me back to like reading about movies with 90% of my free time on the internet and this was written about for like 2 years before the mm -hmm. the public could really enjoy it uh whenever they wanted and once I did I I I I showed this movie to everybody I've seen this movie dozens of times I love it uh old day sue it, it just it's just so beautiful and it was like I I I've watched it recently and I still love it but like at the at the time I was like, I will pay more attention to what comes out of South Korea. I did. Yes. And that, that, this becomes kind of a watershed moment for South Korean I, cinema. I wrote that in the intro I and I just... Say I, so. I, this I, is like, I know there were tons of Korean films before this, but this is the one that I really feel got the conversation starting in America. It, it oh not only got gosh, the conversation got started, it, it got advanced distribution deals for a lot of other South Korean films. And Sympathy mm -hmm. for Lady Vengeance, the sequel or third part of the uh, revenge trilogy of uh, that old boy is the meat of the sandwich of that got like pretty not day and date, but like it can it got wide distribution immediately compared to old boy. But then I, you know, I, I think my, in, I want to say my interest, I think the the world's interest fell off a little bit and I don't really feel like uh, South Korea had semi annual blips on the net on, on, on the national film register. But here it was just like, if this is Korean, I want to see it. There was like a five-year period where like some of these are in contenders for best movie of the year because of how, how much attention I was paying to South Koreans. Not until like Parasite did I feel like we were yeah. doing that again. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It, it took us a while to get back to, yeah, seeing these filmmakers come out and they're like Park Chan-wook or Bong Joon-ho. And yeah, like the host, the host uh, ends up doing really well here. It's great. 
All right, have we explained is, the plot to listeners who are unfamiliar with this? Okay, it's based not. on and saying and Chris saying I've seen this movie so many times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just be like, that's a red flag. What yeah. are you doing? Yeah, probably. Oh, this is my favorite movie. I put it on whenever I want to relax. You know, first date movie. <laughs> no, it's just, it's a very well constructed movie that begins with a drunk kind of town ne'er-do-well wakes up locked in a room and is locked in there for 11 15 years 15 years 15 years, 15 years doesn't now, know where he is why he's there who's imprisoning him he has access to a tv he watches the world go by he sees 9-11 happen to, to a television set and it's yep. it's based on the manga and the director made the complete right call in adapting the manga to this because he thought the most interesting question was not why was this guy locked up for 15 years? There's plenty of revenge scenarios where you'd want someone dead or locked up for life. What type of scenario would you want to lock someone up for 15 years and then let them go? Oh, boy, is it insidious. What would cause that? Mm-hmm. Uh, fairly ins- that. Uh, very, very complicated, thought out revenge. Too well orchestrated a plan that should never have worked. Well, oh, none of this should yeah. work, Chris. This is this is manga. I mean, this yeah. guy learns to be a martial arts expert from watching. It's one of my favorite lines. Can fifteen years of imaginary training make you badass in a fight? No, uh, not it, even closely. The, okay, la- the line done, was it can Jr. and then he beats up a bunch I've, of people. <laughs> I've done wrestling, karate, and taekwondo. Of course he has. And I can tell you that nothing compares you to actually practicing against a real human being your mind is this ethereal state it is this non-real platonic ideal and if you do not test your mind against cold harsh reality it is worthless but then uh then like he's locked in this room he can't he can't even kill himself every time he tries gas is pumped in the room he's knocked out and he's his arms are sewn up all this shit and then one day just wakes up on the roof of a building and like, I'm going to find who fucking did this to me. And through like tracing back the delivery food through taste, because he only ate the same three things for 15 years, goes on this long journey to figure out who did this to him and why. And, you know, probably going to have to get into spoilers here at some point. But yeah, I'm sorry, listeners. This is fast forward at this point. I cannot talk I mean, about talk about both story. movies and how they remake themselves and how they deal. Yeah, with right. The, uh, they both deal. A li- the dealing with the reveal is why I really don't like the, the, the remake. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, we'll talk about the remake in a little bit. But one thing this movie does rely on, it ends up being that, uh, you know, hypnosis is a, a magical force that can make anything happen. <laughs> Which is not real. OK, right. I ha- have been up on stage i tried to get hypnotized it was bullshit i'm sorry did you play along is not i did play along actually because it was fun Mm -hmm. and uh but at no point did i feel like oh my gosh i am not in control of my body i remembered everything i was just playing afterwards i asked the guy so did you know i was just playing along and he either was devastated or he acted devastated and 20 years later I still don't know what was the case with that. <laughs> right. Oh, bummer. Okay, the first but, time it didn't work. <laughs> yeah. But honestly, this is kind of like a fucked up fairy tale or a Greek tragedy. And yes. so we just kind of have you to shouldn't accept. take it reality. Yeah. yeah this we, is we have to accept that mo- it's a comic book logic movie. And if you go into it, that mindset of you can become the biggest badass by practicing every day by yourself in a ho- hotel room, eating nothing but dumplings. Okay. Movie. I'm with that. Oh, 
a billionaire has decided to do this elaborate plot over, okay, full-on spoilers here, something the guy witnessed in high school. Yes. That's well, that, led that, to the he, suicide that, of his sister. That he didn't even realize the significance of. Like, yeah, he, he forgot it happened. Well, it's not even that he forgot it happened. When he didn't realize that was a brother and sister making out. He just saw the girl and was like, oh, yeah, I know her because she's in my class. And just told his friend sort of offhand, oh, yeah, I saw her making out with some guy. And then the friend told someone else and told someone else, And it turned into she's the biggest slut in town. And she got a hysterical pregnancy and she killed herself. And the whole time it was because she, she had been fucking her brother. And that's fucked up. And the billionaire brother has decided you ruined my life. You caused my sister suicide, even though you have no idea you did that. You don't and know even you though- were the first domino. You're well, hang on. We should, we should also say gossiping at a high school, which is what teenagers do. No teenager doesn't gossip. They're stupid and dumb. Daring, daring uh, Odesu's journey to figure out who imprisoned him, he befriends a young girl, a young lady. Yeah. And, and her character is very strange. And you can kind of write off absolutely everything about it. So, oh, she's been hypnotized for years to mm. do these because she takes in this guy who is honestly feral. Yeah. He is a feral Gross human and being. Feral. The first thing that he does is he he after getting out is he goes to a sushi restaurant and he wants to eat a live octopus. And he does. Brutal and Joyman Sick, who is a vegetarian Buddhist, apologized to the octopus and he had to do that four times. It's, <laughs> a, it's such a great and unforgettable scene. It is so unforgettable because even after it's did the the heads ripped off, the going. tentacles are tearing around right. his nose. They're, awesome. they're still going, but yeah, he yeah. befriends this woman. Um, he attacks her, and she just kind of fights him off. And it's like, hey, I'll fuck you later. You need to calm down now. And he's like, okay. And then yeah, they develop this relationship, and then it turns out here's the biggest spoiler: that's his daughter. Yes. Yeah. He, he prison he for his daughter. His evil nemesis concocted all of this to make him guilty of the same sin mm-hmm. that he was guilty of. And Except he, not really, because he doesn't do it on purpose. Our protagonist does it by accident, does it by being tricked, does right. it by being uh, hypnotized, and the evil villain does it knowingly. This only works if you tell yeah. all his friends. <laughs> yeah, well, and also, it's like, who's the real victim? The daughter is the biggest victim here. You're mm-hmm. victimizing the daughter mm-hmm. the same way your sister was victim like she's an innocent participant in all of this but you're setting her up to go kill herself too if she finds out I, yeah, i'm beginning to think so this evil billionaire up. is not a good guy no he is really really spooky creepy motherfucker the way he just sets up everything and just to be the creepiest spookiest motherfucker ever and um performances all around are amazing visually this movie yes it's a beautiful grimy film there's Mm -hmm. there there is like a sickly green color in almost every shot which is very intentional um and my god choyman sick is like i said he's he's like a a feral animal through this but brings through this humanity that you know by the end where he's like oh i understand why you did all of this i i mean so much of the movie is him being a human chainsaw and then how he debases himself then of please don't tell my daughter what you've done i, I always what we've done whatever oh, oh, oh my, my gosh that was one of the most painful scenes yeah okay again gross out spoilers he cuts off his own tongue with a pair of scissors in his begging to this guy not to tell and you 
it was one of the I have a pretty hard stomach that that got me. That was that was just brutal I, beyond I belief watching that begging scene. The worst hard, begging scene I've ever seen. The hard way loving this film. I mean, we didn't even give like any kind of trigger warning in it because it's just like I just assume everybody knows about it. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think some of those elements are so silly. They kind of rolled off me a little more and until I gradually and I'm like, oh, I, I can't really show this to everybody. It's a yeah. little more because like something about it being foreign, you know, like maybe there's a cultural thing here I don't get. Maybe I, I let that, but it is it is kind of a rough watch. It's hard to recommend to everybody, but it's never well, affected me that yeah. much. Yeah, I mean, it has a reputation of being very extreme mm-hmm. in its violence, and so yes, yes, it does. It does have this like three minute long one shot fight through a hallway that, and that that's... is one of the best fight scenes because everyone is like exhausted and yeah kind of doesn't want to fight but off oh, i okay i better get back up and try to hit that guy again and is he gets stabbed it's so visceral and brutal and it's, it's amazing and that's yeah, what i i, I like yeah. wonderfully done i never took till his training made him a superhero is that like i can finally die but before <laughs> i do i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna figure out who did this so a guy who doesn't care if he's in pain he doesn't care if he dies and just throws himself just wholeheartedly in front of everything. Obviously he feels pain, but like he doesn't care. It's a, it's a rad character and uh, there's, Oh my God, do I hate the remix so much? <laughs> uh, we'll talk about it in a bit. Okay, okay. Yeah. This, yeah, I will say, I mean, for a reputation of being hard to watch, very violent, it is, but it is, it just, it brought up more like philosophical thoughts just because it plays out like people have, speculated odesu's name is is he um oedipus jesus and and he's locked in the the fates have fated him to suffer and he tries to subvert it and in trying to subvert it he ends up walking right into the the horrible family tragedy of incest that he was trying to avoid yeah Uh, the, the whole vengeance trilogy is like just the futility of revenge everything yeah. works out poorly for everyone they're depressing movies but i swear I, I like in my brain this is less violent than the least violent tarantino movie it, it but i i w- yeah I, I, that can't be true i'm just i'm a little dis- i was dis- way more desensitized that then and i guess i am still now but i, I do yes. recommend it if you like action movies if you want a taste of what like put korean cinema on the map uh, one, something that inspired, I think, a lot of pulp, a, a lot of Tarantino-esque movies of the next few years. Like, mm-hmm. old boy, old boy will let you, let you know. It's fucking, yeah. I, I, I love it. I feel like in the end, I was more disturbed than I was grossed out by the violence. Mm. Because, yeah, even when he cuts off his tongue, they show some of it, but it's not like they're really showing everything. It's that I know what it feels like to bite my tongue, and so I can relate. And yeah, one thing I love about Park Chan Wook though is he's he's a philosophical guy. Mm-hmm. He's even though it's his reputation of being like, oh, this grind out. No, he's a very philosophical guy. And he, in the end, he felt like he underwrote the daughter character. And since then, so many of his movies have had female protagonists. Mm-hmm. Um, is like, yeah, I could do better about that. And then he fucking does. Yeah, Lady Vengeance is like two years from now, uh, Korean release and. That one, uh, yeah. I think, is rougher, <laughs> to be honest. But uh, yeah, and, and the, uh, Mr. Vengeance is so fucking depressing. You just like begging everyone to stop what they're doing for two straight hours, 
and it's so lo-fi compared to this one. Mm. Um, yeah. I, they're I, all worth seeing. I still haven't. Uh, I feel bad. I still haven't watched Decision to Leave, but we did have Stoker earlier this mm. year, which is, uh, yeah, again, it's like, well, that's um, it does have a female lead character. I'll give you that one. But there's a crazy shit happening in there. Well, old boy, at the top of our list old is boy. the high point of this segment in film because I didn't get a chance to see Colin Farrell, Kelly McDonald, Killian uh, Murphy in Intermission. It's supposed to be a black comedy. It's got uh, pretty good reviews, and it's by the guy who directed Brooklyn, which I quite like. So. Mm. Sorry. And then we got uh, Charles S. Dutton, Penelope Cruz, Robert Downey Jr., and Halle Berry in Gothica. Dr. Miranda Gray is an expert at knowing what is sane. Are you okay? Until she found herself on the other side. Hello, Benjamin. Who is? Maybe it's a girl. This is a girl that I saw. Is it possible? She died four years ago. Trust me. I can't trust somebody when they think you're crazy. Rated R starts Friday, November 24th. I man, I saw hey. this. Oh. More false imprisonment, everybody. Yay. Yay. Uh, so I think this is Hall- Halle Berry at her height. You mm-hmm. know, she's just coming off the commercial success of X Men, the critical success of Monsters Ball, and we're a year away from her playing Catwoman. So this is really her, yeah, her at her height, and it's such a shame that she did this movie. This is the most boring. What if an insane person, not insane, but magic real? Mm. <laughs> that's yeah. that's what this movie is about. That is the entire thrust of this film. This. Uh, Hallie is a psychologist at an insane asylum, and then she goes insane herself. But it's actually ghosts who are physically real. Unless it yeah. isn't. I, I, it's, I haven't watched this for 20 very, years. It's very vague and silly. I, I remember thinking that the plot was dumb and the movie was dumb, but like Halle Berry is overcommitted here. Like she mm. is doing a much better performance than this shit deserves. Well, it's an odd... well, I, I don't think they did enough for her character. She's supposed to be no. all methodical and scientific and logical. But the first bad thing that happened, she's your typical screaming scream queen from a slasher film. And I thought it could have been a lot more powerful if they would have had her handle it, like keeping herself tightly controlled, tightly controlled, and then explode. But it just goes straight on to that. Yeah, this is. Uh, yeah, we got two bad ones now, everybody. Well, if you two wanted to release very bad, <clears throat> I I have said before. I think two thousand three is the the highlight of the bad movie. We have the worst movies in two thousand three. We have the room. We have Geely, and now we have this. If you had to release a bad movie, this would be the week to do it because it will be overshadowed. It will be overshadowed. By badness, I have not seen the likes of this expensively uh, in some time. Sean Hayes doing double duty. Kelly Preston, Spencer Breslin, Dakota Fanning, Alec Baldwin, and Mike Myers. It's for some reason number one at the box office. This is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. The Cat in the Hat. This holiday season, enter a magical world. And meet one cool cat Ah! who knows a thing or two about having fun from the producer of The Grinch. Let the 12-year-old 
there I there will, are you there are YouTube clips. I would say there's there's more than ten things that Mike Myers does that is that's funny. That's genuinely funny. But it's also uh, we're learning more about Mike Myers weird meddling and like a I think discomfort with fame is probably another thing that this is brought about. I couldn't find for sure because this is all off the books, but this is his settlement with imagine over the sprockets movie that didn't happen. They both sued the shit at each other settled at a court. And after calling Brian Grazer, a thug suing him for $20 million, like I'm sorry, a cat in the hat. I'm off the hook. (laughs) So, They've, they've sued each other for millions, and that's why he's in this. He was apparently not nice, not method, but he's under pounds of makeup, so that's kind of understandable. Jim Carrey's been more open about him being the Grinch and why it's something he can't, not only won't, but cannot do again. It's yes. a very taxing it, it's, performance. Yeah, and in this one, like, I guess it helps that the Grinch is so Grinchy. Uh, and so his physical discomfort can actually play into that part. The cat is supposed to be, he's a cat. He's happy. He's, he's comfy. Suave. He's cuddly. He's suave. He's a fun guy to be around. This cat is like a creepy neighbor from New Jersey. Like, I don't know what the accent he, is. It's a little Linda Richmond, but not quite. Every once in a while, I, I was going to ask you, it gets like, when the lawyers come in, like, did you just get more Semitic? Is this, yeah. what's going on here? Uh, it, what I've learned about Mike Myers is that he has very specific principles of comedy. And this is the first time I see that, like, no, he had he he will demand jokes be in the movie and visual effects created around them. And I don't I'm not offended by gross stuff. I'm more offended that, like, why did you think any of this was appropriate for a cat in the hat movie? Why is there are there erection and cum jokes and piss jokes <clears throat> and getting kids to spell curse words and the dirty hoe? thing which is not funny <laughs> it's a okay that's like the one part i laughed in the film I get, unfortunately i, I, okay, read the, I, I will the, say the reason they put in the adult humor is because they wanted to appeal to adults but they don't know how to do that the no. only way they know how to do that is by juvenile no humor, which isn't adult humor no mike myers fought for this shit including the dirty hoe joke which the director said i was shocked I thought that would get overruled in the process because we didn't want to make that at all. It was a demand from Mike Myers because he had a ton of demands to change the script and the effects on the fly. And what do you do when the production's up and rolling? You have to roll with someone like that. So I always thought he was a, a bit reclusive. This is probably evidence why he wasn't cast in something else again because it's similar to other things I remember Penelope Spears saying on Wayne's World. And this, so I married an axe murder director. He will fuck up your shot if he doesn't like the joke. He will waste hundreds of people's time uh, if he's if he's not in agreement with what he's filming. Mm. And and that's something like even Eddie Murphy doesn't do. <laughs> yeah. So like uh, this is so horrible. And also like Jr., you got a breakdown of the plot for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is garbage. Okay, the breakdown of the plot is the kids are uh, with their mother, who is a single mother. They make a slight mess. They have conflict with their mother, but it's really not a good mother-son-daughter relationship. It's just it's movie ridiculous. conflict bullshit. And so then the cat in the hat comes, fucks all their shit up, and then fixes it, and no lessons are learned. He... Technically, uh, nothing happens plot-wise for an hour, mm-hmm. for like an entire yeah. hour. Yeah, don't forget they have a babysitter. Yeah, uh, who's a nice Asian lady. 
who oh, is yeah. then treated Character. like a prop for the rest of the movie because she's asleep. So we can just use her as a sled or whatever. She, it, they, they, they're supposed to Beetlejuice Alec Baldwin, at, ironic, isn't it, uh, out, of, <laughs> out of existence. All he does is mess up their lives, fix it, mess it up further, 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 and then kind of sort of finally fixes it, and zero lessons are learned. Anything I feel like my takeaway of like patience, self-control, imagination, like I, I got from the book Cat in the Hat, None of that is on screen, and it was. I there are several interviews with the uh, is it Audrey Geisel, like uh, Doctor mm. Seuss's surviving widow. Like she I fucking hate this, and and she had mandated there are no more live action Doctor Seuss movies happening ever again. We will Good. we will never ever do that. And to that, I applaud her. And I did. I, I'm sorry, I got to lean on you again for Jr. for this. Like um, growing up, I didn't show. Mm-hmm. I didn't show this to my kids. Oh, I no, no, not, not no that. desire. Not that. It, it's why I think well, one of the reasons I hate it even more is because of how important a cinematic adaptation can be because that cultural osmosis can spread a little far, further and wider for, I think, for our generation. Almost isn't... always, even for a bomb, more people see a bomb yeah. movie than physically read a book. And this That's did, just the numbers. This you can did look not at bomb. Book sales. Because yeah. Do- Dr. Seuss is... That ubiquitous, it, it, I don't, it might be dying with your kid generation. Just I don't, I don't know how much kids engage with books. Given, I mean, the I fight for gave their them to them because I wanted to pass that down. But they've never like adored Doctor Seuss. They've seen some of the live actions, and there's a couple of good Netflix stuff on it. Uh, Jim Carrey is still probably the most successful dr seuss adaption and you can see mike myers so desperately wanting to be jim carrey yeah but jim carrey is unique he is a master of physicality Mm -hmm. in a way mike myers will never be ever is not uh it, it seemed like a natural fit because of his austin powers makeup i was more 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 wondering because this depresses me a lot cat in the hat is dr seuss's mickey mouse I think yeah. the recognition because of something like this, the Grinch is far more associated with p- kids, your uh, folks, your kids age they are than cat in the hat. Cause I think he not unlike Mickey, he, I think he does a lot of stuff for preschoolers, but his brand was inev- like <laughs> tarnished by this irreversibly. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't know. I mean, look, the, the first kind they had is from 1957 and it is one of the 10 best-selling children's books of all time still yeah uh, i mean it's a okay. solid children's book you know, i can it's, absolutely it's... see my kids giving those books to their kids but they will yeah. never show i know these. i know but it, this is a bad example but like when i see i get a lot of targeted universal studios ads to me and even when it's not christmas it's the grinch featured in all this shit even though that park has the rights to all the dr seuss stuff and all of them have mm. attractions the grinch I think because of how shitty this went, culturally penetrated in a way that lasted like now Grinch is the most recognizable Dr. Seuss character. I think that's that that notion makes me fucking nuts for some reason. Hmm. But but well, to, to be fair, I mean, the, that, the, that movie was a lot more popular. It made like no, no, four no. times as much as this one the, did. The, the Grinch, it's the Grinch's holiday Christmas. special is better than any Cat in the Hat. Spe- the Cat in the Hat has several specials. They're not yeah. very memorable. And including nah. the Grinch, Grinch is the cat in the hat. Nobody even, every time I mention that, people are like, what? 
yeah it's like an hour it sucks <laughs> it's they, they meet yeah. up and i love fun. the original grinch so much yeah. that's a chuck because jones thing boris Carlos. but where we stand no one's talking about a four quadrant cat in the hat anything anymore it's just that depresses me because <laughs> i think it was like my teens i just started thinking about dr seuss and like that art was awesome. And I dig into my mm-hmm. childhood bookshelf and like it really fucking was. This is Doctor right. Seuss is the shit. Mm-hmm. And I had a he's a genius, yeah. and he'll last for a long, long time. And this movie justifiably should be forgotten. Yep. Yeah. You know Sorry. what I think? One of the That's lasting legacies said. of this movie is in a in a strange way, and it does come from the book though. But I was just in New Orleans again, and all of their tacky souvenir stores sell shirts that say "Thing One" and "Thing Two. Yeah. Or Bitch one and bitch two, or slut one and slut two, yeah. <laughs> drunk one and drunk two. They're everywhere. Can I, but a more serious question: What is it about Mike Myers starring in an adaptation of a children's fairy tale? Why does that always require Smash Mouth? And, <laughs> and why? Oh, why did Paul McCartney sign off on a Beatles cover <laughs> for this movie? Because it's like I thought I couldn't hate this anymore, and I'm sorry. I know Homeboy just died. But Smash Mouth is a silly band, and all oh, that irritated me. This I, this movie fascinates me in that I can't believe it was actually released in its current form because it is one of those where every single choice was the exact wrong one yes. out of a million choices. You always pick the wrong one, except for the kids. Spencer Breslin, Dakota Fanning are adorable children. But I'm, I'm They're sorry. fine. As, I don't feel bad for them. I think I can st- say semi-unequivocally here, Dude, we've all watched a lot of movies for the show. We've watched a lot of movies in our life. What non-animated movie is under 120 minutes? Like, mm-hmm. sorry, or under Ooh. under 120? Yeah, under an hour under and a half. Ninety. It is. Yeah, it's like 84. You 82. know, it's bad. It's like, it, yeah, I think it's like 170, like a minute tw- 17 or an hour 17, because that's Ooh. how little they had to work with. This is the best they had to work with. This is. I can't, obviously I have baggage with the property, but I do think I'm I'm really struggling to think of a movie I was more angry at what during the course oh, of the no. show. No, because I don't know that I've ever seen it in full. I thought I had. I think I was wrong because there's a lot of shit I did not remember. But it, it it's so much worse twenty years on. If you if you have a kid out there that you hate during the holiday <laughs> season, please I implore you to show them Cat in the Hat. They'll be worse for it. No lessons learned. Everybody's time will be wasted. It's the worst. It's the worst. The worst. It's the worst. Even for little kids, like no, I I wouldn't show this to a little kid at all. The the jokes, the jokes are too dirty. Yeah, Yeah, that's the thing. I try to grade on a curve for children's entertainment. I realize that there's some kids' entertainment that is only for kids. They don't even try to appeal to adults at all. And so I sort of like, all right, well, that was hard to watch for me because it was pretty basic. But that's because it's for kids. But this is trying to appeal to everyone, and they're doing such an awful fucking job. Yeah, it's very bad. It's just it's so much worse than you think it's going to be, you guys. It just, I, I, I'm, I'm not saying so like worse. it's I'm not it's inappropriate for children. Like I don't see anything in here for a kid to like. Like, and if you Bright wanted colors, to, yeah, if you, noise. If you wanted to make a, a a Dr. Seuss movie for t- people twenty and up, then go harder. But yeah. it's it's unacceptable for any brain, <laughs> any brain. I hate this so fucking much. Take a lesson from my boy Horton, who's been adapted in animation three times 
and it, they're all pretty great. Once again, Jim Carrey, the only person who can bring Dr. Seuss to the screen with any fucking gravitas. Let's stop. But you were right, GR. Like, what was we just should, should have said? Ignore this movie. <laughs> wish, wish we could. I wish we could because they're they're in terms of animation where Dr. Seuss thrives. TV is filled with notable things that are worth your attention. Uh, three great things from 30, uh, 20 years ago, well, October 17th through the 22nd. Uh, Dexter's Lab ends uh, in 96. Ah. And I didn't realize how warped my perception for how long Dexter Dexter's Lab was on the air, how long it was in production. To- my brain was totally warped because that's puts it like it's not on the air for 10 years. It There's a reboot. Uh, like a not a reboot what do you call it just like a refresh like oh we're gonna do season three four or five years after the last episode it's it's not uncommon with cartoon network stuff they had a recent powerpuff girls adaptation with like the same people involved but gendy kartitskovsky was not involved by the finale at all in dexter's lab that had been taken over by somebody else but yeah this was always my go-to cartoon network show this was the one where it was like anytime it was on i'll be like I'll kill 30 minutes watching this. It's light. It's breezy. It was almost always fun. It had wackiness. Uh, the character of Dexter really evolved over time. I mean, not super huge, but there was some differences in seeing him be a boy genius to having super villains. And I love the episode where he goes to the future. That one will always stick with me. Yeah, the, the Dexter I know had kind of a finale before it's tv movie and this is rebooted with a they make some animation changes some format changes i think christine cavanaugh quits the role it's not unrecognizable but it is way different from the one i was familiar with when i just briefly mm-hmm. glanced at it but i think it's significant because it is one of the first original cartoon network shows at least to come I mean, from that there was a time program. when this was like the only yeah. major cartoon that was unique to cartoon network i could be incorrect but it was the first i think it was the first of those what a cartoon shows which was basically a televised pilot program that aired for two years mm-hmm. uh repeating the same things over and over again it was the first one to make it to the first series to make it to air i think cartoon yeah. network had other original series before that but this is like synonymous to me with cartoon network original programming yeah mm-hmm. i loved it recommend it to this day i love that despite being a super genius dexter is actually the underdog in most episodes and he almost never wins yeah i think that's a cool thing i'd be up for a reboot i mean that's if you haven't seen cable trying to survive a lot of it is the nostalgia on the nostalgia of 20 year olds they've started playing this before they go into adult swim to get more eyes on whoever's left watching cable television uh uh on the reverse, I don't know why they have. I'm kind of surprised they haven't spun off the some of the segments they did that weren't Dexter's Lab, like Justice Friends or Dial M for Monkey. Yeah, it's, it's, I it just should love be, saying that. I feel like Nicktoons is merchandising the hell out of its past in a way Cartoon Network isn't, and some of these episodes are far defined. It's interesting to think about where Cartoon Network was because it's like only animation, like animation's not a genre. It is a medium, and everybody's not going to like everything on here. So the same, the same time Dexter's Labs ends, which is arguably a show for kids and young people, Toonheads ends, which is a valiant T- Turner Classic Movies effort. I encourage everyone to see. So many of them are. I think the last lost episode hit YouTube last year, and it's amazing. Uh, but Toonheads, if you'd never seen it, that was like your scholarly look at old animation. 
Here's a look at wartime cartoons. Uh, here's a look at here's an honest look at the worst Hanna Barbera cartoons ever made, and they'll just <laughs> they'll talk about it for a little bit, and they'll just show you uh, some of the cartoons. Toonheads is amazing. Let's celebrate Tex Avery today across his work from MGM to Warner Brothers. Does that sound as awesome to anybody else that does to me? I I appreciated it at the time, and I'm I'm very shocked it hung in there for like for a decade. But there's only like a fifty to a hundred episodes, and I think most of them have skated through YouTube. I hope that doesn't change because it's one of the it's like the most for me show that's ever existed. Look up an episode of Toonheads if you like animation; it's very good. Um, a show that's ongoing, South Park. Uh, I'll give you a hint on what this episode is about. I'm sure many of you remember it. Joseph Smith was called a prophet. Dum, 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 dum. He started the Mormon religion. Dum, 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 dum. There goes that kooky Joseph Smith. You know, he claims he spoke with God and Jesus. Well, how do you know he didn't? Dum, 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 dum. <laughs> I don't know how to feel laughing at this anymore. I, I, oh, you say something. I, so I'm, perfectly fine laughing at it today Mm -hmm. i personally do not find the origins of mormonism scientology neo-paganisms all religions in the modern era in which we have much better records to be any more improbable or unrealistic than any other religions they are honestly all equal in my eyes that's sort of what i'm thinking i am not a religious person the mormon religion is no more dumb that's not totally true. <laughs> it's no well, more yeah, done because, than... Uh, because it's so modern, we know so much about its founding. And, you know, the, the founding of Christianity was all written a couple hundred years later by very biased sources. And then those Gospels are put into the Bible. And even they contradict each other. And that's very annoying. And as opposed to this is like, this is what can modern times they all like they had newspapers they wrote all this stuff down we we know exactly what it is and it sounds kind of silly but what uh, here's here's what i'm giving but yeah is it any more silly than any other religion this dude conjured fish out of nowhere and then he ran on some water and <laughs> yeah this guy split uh, there, there was a big lake it was in the way and he split the water and they could walk through and then there was a pillar of fire and it burned a bunch of dudes up like, or I have magic stones that let me read gold tablet, <laughs> tablets and no, you can't see them, but I can. Uh, it, 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 but the, what I, I but. do like to point out is that, man, it's clearly a bug up Trey Parker's ass from Orgasmo to South Park to Book of Mormon. I, I do yeah. want to find out if he had like this huge crush. He on had an ex. Mormon he dated a Mormon person and I didn't, but my best friend did. And I, I don't. So I don't have a lot of negativity towards her, but she introduced me to some of the weirdest <laughs> rules See, I, and things. It like I didn't call it dumb to her face, but like, right. please tell me more. I but I am judging you quietly. My and, mom rented out our rooms in our house when I was growing up, and one of the rooms she rented out to this Mormon lady. And you know, I talked to her about her religion, and she told me these things, and I said, okay this is what I know about this. And then I just started probing and probing and the conversation got really uncomfortable really fast. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, look, every, every religion is weird to outsiders. It yes. makes perfect sense. 
to everyone else. Like you know, Mormons are not the only people who have magic underwear or have I, rituals that seem odd to, to outsiders. Where, you know, and you, in their whatever. defense, if you look at the statistics that we like, you know, <laughs> crime rates, you know how low the Mormon crime rate is? I, it is almost nothing. I know they helped. No. They helped push through that Prop Eight horseshit, but the yeah. Mormons I grew up around was were the only religion I saw put their money where their mouth was. A lot of donating <laughs> homes, a lot of putting people up uh, all the time, like like yeah. full on sanctuary for any kind of person. To the point where the person I knew was like, "Dude, they just rented out the room to like this guy is the homeless person with the most problems, and now he's." This seventeen-year-old girl is complaining. He's she's living in the next room. Hmm. That's how much that how much they put their money where their mouth is. So yeah, that, that's, that's my true. memory. I yeah. When it comes to community support, mm-hmm. awesome. Um, when it comes to community shame, uh, yeah. Uh, what are you gonna do? Religions are strange, and they're made up of individuals, and individuals are flawed. Right. I. It's still yeah. It kind of amazes me that yes, they did South Park would do episode that is really just yeah here's basically the quick version of the founding of the entire mormon religion and it's generally accurate the episode all about mormons by the way all about mormons but they're but they're also you know they're making fun of it because it sounds silly on the outside and then like the the end of the episode is the mormon kid being like yeah i don't care if you think that's stupid my even if it was all made up even if joseph is a giant fucking liar it works for me and it makes my life better yeah. Just shut your face. Like, yeah. yep, that's pretty much my argument for religion right there. <laughs> and honestly, I think Joseph Smith is going to be remembered far after America is just something historians talk about. Mm-hmm. Religions last a long time, okay? Zoroastrianism is still around today. They wrote their holy book at a time of the uh, Persian Empire was the superpower of its era. And... You can go into 10 bookstores and not find a single book about that empire. But people are still reading the holy works of Zoroastrianism to this day. It's absolutely possible that's going to be true for Mormonism and the United States of America. Religions last long time, usually Hmm. much longer than states. Well, once they take off, you know, there's an awful lot of... Ones that right, don't really but... make it out of beta testing. <laughs> Mormonism is already pretty established. It's got missions uh, literally yeah. worldwide. It's got its own I TV channel. It's... Yep. <laughs> BYU. Yeah. I watched. I watched uh, the Dexter Riley trilogy there. Like wondering what's BYU. I had no idea. The computer wore tennis shoes. Was being brought. <laughs> the only time I've ever seen it in 1080p. It was brought to me by BYU. Uh, uh... That was house sitting. I've never Ooh. seen that channel before since. It would have been fun if they did a series of just every single religion we can think of. <laughs> Let's dramatize how they were. But I think it's... it's... No, they, they had Muhammad appear on an early episode. Oh, oh yeah. They did. And yeah. then they had a whole little episode about how we can't have Muhammad anymore. Yep. Uh, Even though we had him already. He I, appeared I and no one cared. Told those stories yep. elsewhere, but like it's it's Mormon's modernism and I would... We were rent. We would rent Mormon movies with this girl, and she would have to explain to us why the music's swelling because, like, it wouldn't make any sense. She's an American-born English speaker. This movie makes sense to her and doesn't make sense. Why is the music swelling here? Uh, missionaries are never supposed to hug people, uh, hug the opposite sex before they get on a plane. Mm. Oh, <laughs> oh, that's a big moment. Then I guess totally lost on me. <laughs> uh, shit like that. Yep. So it's. 
I'm fascinated by it. I don't like calling anybody else's religion dumb because they're all kind of dumb, including whatever mine is, which is drinking and watching Star Trek and cartoons. Yep. And then eight years was about eight years till Book of Mormon on uh, Broadway, where they bring back a lot of this same material. It's from the beginning. (laughs) Something about dating this woman. He's allowed to be triggered fascinated a little more than the average person because when you're close to someone like that it is really odd to see how it this one of our newest um and it's a western religion like american religion all the way through american yeah religion it, yeah, yeah. The, did you know yeah the uh <laughs> the garden of eden was in missouri mm-hmm. okay yeah. sorry didn't did not mean to do but again really cool animated footnotes in there none of which are cat in the hat suck a dick mike myers um Oh, games of 2003, 20 years ago, 17th through the um, uh, 22nd. Harvest Moon, Friends of Mineral Town on GBA. What a cute name. Who runs Mineral Town? <laughs> Master Blaster. Uh, Thank you. Uh, we also have Legend of Zelda Collector's Edition on GameCube. Is this the pre-order thing? What is this? So this is every Zelda game before Wind Waker. Okay, so if you're in 2003 and you're not an emulator, this is like the first time they've been re-released. So this is exposing the Zelda games to an audience that probably hasn't played them before. And, you know, you can complain about Nintendo not re-releasing their old stuff anymore, but back in 2003, you know, they were making old games replayable. I'm not not sure if you could buy this, though. You had to pre-order Majora's Mask or some shit, or like Wind Waker or something like that. Oh. I, th- I think that mm. might have been a thing because I'm looking at the cover is what I can remember. It's not like meant to move off shelves. It's a very generic cover with promotional use only over a bunch of them. Um, but uh, also in great Nintendo news, Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga. Is this the beginning of the Mario and Luigi Saga? No. Uh, so oh, right. Yes. Mario RPG branched off into two areas, and this is one of those branches. Right. This is the more absurdist one. They're not in the Mushroom Kingdom. They're in a completely different kingdom, which I got to say is usually the best route to take. Yeah. Just go wacky, go crazy, as uh, Mario Wonder has really shown me. I, I don't need to see the Mushroom Kingdom again. Just l- go crazy, guys. Yeah, go nuts, man. And uh, uh, one of the most beloved Mario Kart games, Double Dash, on GameCube, yeah. is out. Yeah. A pretty, yep. pretty novel and surprising way. J.R. Diana, did you ever see the mystery science movie Side Hackers? Yes. <laughs> one of my favorites. Absolutely one of my favorites. That's it's one double big dash. Bash. It's the favorite sport of cheap white trash. Yeah. <laughs> Side Hackers, <laughs> kids, if you don't know, was a motor, just a barely existent motorcycle thing where you put another person on the back or side of your bike so they could lean into turns a little bit. And so two people piloting a motorcycle. They managed to do that with Mario Kart. I, I find it odd they never addressed this again. Granted, the second player was not having the same good time that the other player was, but he could better aim. They could better aim uh, objects and uh, weapons, and they could oh, okay. lean into steers a little bit. But it, yeah. it wasn't drastic enough to make much of a difference. No, but it's one of the bigger changes in the Mario Kart series. Y- yes, mean, they and have been with the with the uh, multiplayer aspect. I don't mm-hmm. know that I would have fallen in love with it alone. That my friends, yeah. we now have our own apartments and four to six of us are playing double dash and we can play two to a cart and and work cooperatively with one another mm-hmm. it's really fun it was really fucking it's 
It's not my yeah. favorite Mario Kart. It has most of my favorite in-person Mario Kart memories are attached. Right, to but attached. Y- your favorite Mario Kart is either the most recent one yep. or the one that you <laughs> played when you had the most friends. That is everyone's <laughs> favorite Mario Kart. And I would say that this was a bigger improvement from the previous iteration than we've seen sit mm. since. Mm-hmm. Like going from 64 to this, you're you're going, you're still in 3D, but you're in much better 3D. And mm-hmm. you've got this double dash gimmick, which is a solid gimmick. I wish new Mario games had more gimmicks. I wish there was something a little more special. Or, you know what I just wish? I wish they would release this as DLC. Yeah. Just have double dash DLC for a Mario Kart 8 where it's just like, okay, you want to do the double dash thing? Give us $9.99 and you can do two players on the same card. It's not Go included nuts. in the last DLC, so prepare to be disappointed. But they do have some I double know, dash just... courses in there. You want gimmicks, JR, then boy, I need you to hop on the first. Is this the first ever Final Fantasy sequel? The first ever Final Fantasy sequel to a number. Like they've yes. gone from four to five, but this is the first one when right. we're... Final Fantasy ten part two. Ten part two. Final mm. Fantasy Diana traditionally been the last story of a different universe every time. They share some mm-hmm. things in common with other Final Fantasies, but it's not the same characters, it's not the same world, it's not the same time. This time right. it is. <laughs> okay. And it's it's a little wild because it's uh the priestess character Yuna becomes a pop sensation and now there's a dress based uh <laughs> um what combat system? Yeah, it, like I played a ton. I was mystified by a little of it, and it was a little girlier than I expected, but it was interesting. And uh, that is out on PS2 this week, twenty years ago. And uh, what's with the massage mini game? Because that I don't uh, just play the clip and let our listeners oh. judge for themselves. Okay, do I need to pull it out? What's the de- mm, that's nice? Oh God. Good lord, what the fuck was wrong? Critical for <laughs> the plot. You needed a massage minigame or the whole narrative structure would have fallen apart. Oh boy. Uh, and then moving on to yeah, hard pivot into Manhunt on PS2. Kids, gather around. Rockstar Games used to release more than one game a decade. And when they did, <laughs> they introduced us to a new series that was deplorable and unlikable called Manhunt about a... I guess it's the the, dang, the dangerous game urban edition. Uh, mm. You're you're literally being hunted. Well, you're playing a monster, right? You're playing a serial killer in this. I you're think going so. around killing people. Uh, my, and my, that's... my my brain and the second game are getting confused because they do have different plots. But I think you're also being hunted okay. too. I could be wrong. Manhunt One is I've well, very little time with that. It's very rare in video games that you're playing a complete and other utter socio sociopath usually you're part of a tribe and you're helping that tribe now that tribe can be the mafia where you're helping your tribe go strong and that tribe shouldn't grow strong but you're usually part of some group effort part of some effort to succeed this is playing you're a sick fuck go around do sick fuck things and if you look at how successful gta is compared to that 
I think the claims that ah, people play video games to be just evil killers isn't quite true. People yeah. play video games for power fantasies, and sometimes those power fantasies are for bad groups. But full-on playing an irredeemable, psychopathic killer who has no purpose other than to just kill, not that common. E even in Mortal Kombat, you're fighting for Earthrealm. <laughs> yeah, even in games where you fight with a devil, there's still a squad of you, that you're, a team that you're right. rooting for. This you're fighting for snuff films, producer? Pretty, pretty much. I, I remember Michael telling me about some of the things that this producer says that uh, were some of the most disgusting things I've heard in my life. And uh, yeah, it's fine. It was, it was I, a little more of Rockstar courting mind. controversy. We dare you to get... You thought you were upset over GTA. Please, please give us a shitload of free publicity and help us sell this game. Didn't work with Manhunt. Didn't have the same kind of appeal. Wasn't as fun. Uh, series is effectively dead. I don't know if that's the, the same can be said for Victoria and Empire Under the Sun for PC, but... So this is another Paradox game. Paradox games are made for people who find getting a PhD too easy. It's... <laughs> <laughs> it's when you really want a game that you sink 40 hours in and you finish the tutorial, okay? <laughs> this has some of the densest menus, the hardest uh, systems to figure out, and people really love it because it's basically a history simulator. <sighs> this game, you're really meant not to do it as a paint-the-world-red game that's not really the point the point is to develop your country from the start of the victorian age to the end of it with industry with your military with your society all working together three just recently came out so they've had three games in 20 years Ooh. and yeah <laughs> each one has basically a game every 10 years and uh, each one is better and more complex and more easy to understand than the last i do not see why you would ever play this versus three in the current year yeah, at all probably unless it gets remastered okay uh but with that we're going to close out with al green who actually has an album out this week how about that yeah reverend, reverend. Al green. but say right there we got one more segment in the barrel and you're not going to want to miss it don't move i can't stop i just can't stop Mrs. Internet and all the ships at sea. It's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watch it. And for the week of November 17th through 23rd, oh my god, I have so much stuff to talk about. How am I even going to organize it? I don't even know. Alright, let's start going backwards in time. 40 years ago this week, we have an amazing Barbenheimer. It's a Yentl story. Also known as a Christmas story and Yentl coming out the same week. So, a <laughs> Christmas story. I think everyone... Knows that one by now, you know, the Gene Shepard story, and there are some parts that haven't aged well, and there's some parts that will always be funny, like the Frigile, it's Italian, the leg lamp and all that. And Yentl is pretty good, you know, it's uh, it's it's a drag movie. It's about a woman 
who wants to study Torah so, so badly that she disguises herself as a guy. And um, issues ensue, mostly involving Mandy Patinkin is such a fucking snack in this movie. Oh my god. If you need a reason, why would you? I mean, everyone loves Barbara Streisand, right? Um, Stories about Eastern European Jewish culture from 40 years ago. Uh, It's also a musical. I don't know who else was doing original film musicals in 1983. It's kind of nuts that she's like, yeah, no, I love this story. And also I'm going to make it a musical. Michelle Legrand, chop, chop, write me songs. And and most of them are very good. Uh, But so, yeah, those are, I mean, I guess light recommends. I feel like you've probably, if you wanted to watch either of those, you would have watched them by now. And if you didn't, you should check them out, both of them. So moving backwards, 1973, 50 years ago this week. First up, Sesue Hayakawa died. He was 83 fascinating story this guy man he was uh, a japanese american actor who became a major star in the early silence we're talking like 1914 and it's tough because he's in a lot of movies and he's a very sexy sexy man but also they're playing into a lot of super racist stereotypes about like you know those fiendish asians who are coming here to steal your women's and then uh like he he quit he's like i'm Sick of all this, you know, anti-Japanese bullshit in the 20s. He went back, you know, started traveling. He started doing stage stuff. And then he comes back in 1957 in the Bridge on the River Kwai. And he is amazing as the the colonel of the POW camp. So Sesue Hayakawa, an untold story. I would like to see a a biopic of him because as much as people like, uh, liberal California. Yeah, we were still wicked fucking racist, especially against Asians for a very long time. And the push and pull of that being famous, but being famous for not playing very sympathetic characters is, is pretty interesting. So, moving on. Also 50 years ago this week, Westworld! Michael Crichton's Westworld. Jurassic Park before Jurassic Park, but now it's got cowboys before the TV shows. And, uh, yep, that's pretty good. It's fun. It's got James Brolin, who's married to freaking Barbra Streisand now. Hey, look at that. And Yul Brynner playing you know, like a movie version of himself, which is kind of weird, and Richard Benjamin, and yeah, it's a, it's a theme park where things go wrong. They couldn't possibly, but they do. Also, this week, kind of another Barbenheimer, because it's like, what did these movies have to do with each other? I don't know, but they're coming out the same week. Up Against Westworld from 1973 is Don't Look Now, one of the scariest, sexiest movies ever, period. Full stop. Donald Sutherland, we're going to talk about in a minute. Julie Christie, they're in Venice. Their daughter recently died, and they um, are haunted by stuff. And their expl- the, the exploration of grief and, and what it does to a relationship. Um, a sex scene that everyone seems to think was real, because it's very realistic. And it's I, I've never seen a more realistic sex scene that's not, like, straight-up comedy. Uh, but Don't Look Now, super spooky movie. So fucking good. Oh my god, Venice is scary. I love it so much. Then, going further back. I'm not done yet. 90 years ago this week, 1933, saw the release of uh, the best Mark Brothers Brothers movie ever, Duck Soup. Uh, It's definitely the most pointed. It's definitely the most... It still plays in a lot of ways, even though it was kind of a flop at the time, because it's also like a political satire. It's it's about um, them becoming heads of the the country of Fredonia, land of the free and the free, and wackiness ensues. Yeah, it's, it's about them trying to run a country, and they're you know, people are trying to set them up for a war and wackiness ensues. And it's all about how, like, leaders are stupid and war is stupid in the end. So 
yeah, if you need a place to start with Marx Brothers, Duck Soup's probably a pretty good place. It's kind of, it's got all of the good parts without some of the slower, sappier parts that sometimes Marx Brothers movies can have because they were trying to do everything for everyone. And then finally, 100 years ago this week, saw the release of Our Hospitality, the first truly great Buster Keaton movie. Truly, truly great. 1923. Yes, you can watch this movie and still laugh. Kids will still laugh. Because Buster Keaton's style of comedy is a lot darker than a lot of other silent comedy. And this one is especially no exception because it's making fun of like a Hatfield and McCoy's style feud. Where this guy doesn't realize he's one of these feuding families. He grew up in New York. He comes back to the old homestead. And everyone constantly tries to shoot him. That's like the whole movie. <laughs> I'm not realizing everyone is pulling guns on him all the time. It, it's very, very silly. It also co-stars uh, Buster Keaton's wife at the time, Natalie Talmadge. His son makes an appearance and his dad makes an appearance uh, as driving a train because, man, that man loved trains and he loved doing gags with trains. And we'll talk about the general eventually. But of the bus- pretty much every movie Buster Keaton directed is worth watching. Cause it's only, I don't know, 10 maybe? 10 or 12? This is the first one that's like, oh, yeah. Oh, this this is what this guy does perfectly. Ridiculous stunts, everything super choreographed. It's it's just funny and it keeps moving. There it never slows down. It's like seventy minutes long. Our hospitality from nineteen twenty three, a hundred years ago. And that's it for this week. Stay classic. Coming in with Atlas by Coldplay from a movie we'll talk about in just a moment. Welcome to 2013, 3020s third segment. We're looking at uh, 10 years ago, November 17th through the 23rd. Not the 22nd. I've been saying it wrong the whole show. Whatever. It's a week. Eat my ass. Other new music releases include <laughs> Swing Both Ways by Robbie Williams, Baptized by Daughtry, Death Chorus by Polar Bear Club, and Since I Saw You Last by Gary Barlow. Royals by Lord. Lord, 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 still number one, and I'm still thinking about South Park, apparently. A little bit of news bringing you the wonderful world of 2013. Uh, the Alabama Parole Board grants posthumous pardons to three members of the Scottsboro Boys. Please oh. explain. Uh, what if I told you in Alabama in 1931, some black teenagers were accused of assaulting a white woman? How do you think they were, like, treated? Uh, I'm guessing fairly, with every measure of the law, and they were in no way uh, died. And, oh, posh. Okay. Mm. Yeah. They they didn't die from lynching, uh, small favors. Uh, they were in danger of being lynched multiple times. But it went to court, and their attorney was full-on slurring drunk in the courtroom. Like, not even trying to hide it drunk, drunk. Their other attorney was in full late-stage senility. And this is actually where we get some serious Supreme Court decisions that say you have the right to not just legal representation, but competent legal representation. And all of that came after years and years of struggle. To Kill a Mockingbird is at least partially based on this story. Mm. Yeah. Well, at least you tried eventually alabama oh boy i mean after they were dead yeah kind of i don't know yeah i'm still i'm still <laughs> 12 years a slave man jesus christ 
Mm-hmm. <sighs> uh, hey, anyway, people's sexiest man alive is Adam Levine. Uh, not, <laughs> yeah, not he's not for me. But uh, you know, you ladies have Adam or guys. I don't I don't know what he's into. Way to go, Adam Levine. I loved you on Workaholics. I know that's not him. <laughs> I didn't get a single laugh from my colleagues. Doesn't matter. I laughed. Okay. Um, moving into the movies of 2013. <laughs> Why, son of a gun, Charlotte Copley, Josh Brolin, Elizabeth Olsen, Samuel L. Jackson. By gosh, it's old boy again. Hello? Never has a guest made it to the outside world. Old boy is the movie that has to be seen. Whoever you are, I will find you. Old boy. You might want to think about what you're doing. I've been thinking about it for the last 20 years. Rated R in select theaters this Thanksgiving. Oh, they bump it up to 20 years? Mm-hmm. Josh they bump Bullen it up was, to 20 years. Josh Brolin was put there right after Goonies. And, <laughs> and there he sat until Spike Lee... Spike Lee, what the fuck? This might be my least favorite Spike Lee anything. Well, yeah, all right, here's the thing. Spike Lee, even when it's not working, mm-hmm. he's still a ridiculously good director, and he does some visually very interesting things with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I always love his God cam. Over, I, I love when he attaches a camera to someone and has him wander around, how creepy it is. It is I find it very interesting that this is a full like half an hour shorter than the other one and spends more time with him before he goes to prison yeah and um yeah where we also learned yeah he's a fucking piece of shit like we we really i don't know if we needed that underlined that he's a piece of shit but okay he is i mean they they, they do make him seem like a kind-hearted rapscallion who's only hurting himself in the original and that yeah i guess and i mean he's he's a jerk like he's he's not a good person yeah, and this one, like, let's really spend some time on him sexually harassing people, getting mm-hmm. drunk, throwing up, being horrible. Uh, yeah, and then and then he's put in the prison. Why? Let me just ask this fundamental question. What does this remake offer? Charteau Copley? Uh, I, I know a much sexier version of the incest. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Why is that it's there? It's three-way incest now. That's how I interpreted it, that the father is fucking both his daughter and his son. I, right. Yeah, I, I don't like the, oh, the, the bag is. All right. So this, yeah, we can talk about what, what changes. That changes. In the original, this guy was hooking up with his sister. And, and this one, the guy, he and his sister are both being molested by their father, but they're like into it. It's like part of their relationship. And then when that, he spreads the rumor around like, hey, I saw her fucking some guy, not realizing she was fucking her dad. The dad then tries to kill the whole family and only the son survives. So, mm. yeah, I think a huge difference is how little I cared about the villain in comparison. Like, I I was so unimpressed by, you know, Charlotte Copley's oh. uh, character and I that I wow I was so underwhelmed like the the original one I was so interested in like where is this guy's brain going and this one I was like well you you just you're just a dick and I <laughs> I was just overcome with like I think we made a mistake thinking this guy this kind of amateur fellow was a movie star because this is just not the right part for this is him, not a good man. performance and and it, it's and changing changing it so that it was this weird incest family like what 
what was the point of changing that? I really don't understand. I really don't. Is that supposed to be more disturbing that he's in this relationship with his father? That's okay. Not... So I thought you guys were going to no. come on board and say like this remake's great. Uh, no, I mean no. especially watching it back to back, I was just like, okay, I was a little in the dumps from that happy, fun, joy, luck story I just sat through and having to watch it for a second time wasn't probably the best frame of mind to go into it. But then I kept looking for what is this adding? What mm -hmm. possible benefit do I have in watching English. this? First? I don't mind subtitles. I, 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 again, we, we don't live in that world anymore where we have to wait for a what a national distributor to sweep in and bring us these movies. But Hollywood still operated like that as of 10 years ago. If a movie is a phenomenon in another country, a streaming service will buy it up before Hollywood can remake it. That's a good thing. Yeah. yeah. I, it is strange that so many of the like remaking a recent dish movie these days is like usually comedies mm -hmm. and where you can add something um, in the translation. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, it's a pretty direct translation except that they yeah changed what entirely was the deal with the bad guy they made him less complicated in a lot of ways and they cast a bad uh, actor and give him too much screen time no well they also <laughs> they, they got rid of hypnotism as being a thing mm -hmm. i think that's part of like how they've simplified the narrative because they don't have to use magic hypnotism to make things make sense which is a complaint I do have about the original. Like there's, there's ways you could have twisted this around to not have to use magic hypnotism, but also like Josh Brolin is a character. He is, it doesn't take him too long to seem okay after he gets out of prison. He's not as sympathetic. Yeah. He's, or almost he's too sympathetic because he, he does some very gross, bad things, but he doesn't seem like as fucked up as he would be if he had zero human contact for 20 years. That's what one of the things I love about the original is when he first gets out. He sees he looks around. He's, he's on a roof. He sees a guy who wants to kill himself. And the first thing he does is like start touching him and taking his hand and putting it on his face like I haven't had any human contact. And here uh, Josh Brolin gets out and he's just sort of like grumpy and he beats up some guys and he's like, whoa, I didn't think I could do that. And then he seems like, okay, <laughs> just mm -mm. angry. And I was like, no, you should be a disaster. <laughs> I, mm -mm. I, they improved the daughter character a little bit. You know, she's a little less weird, a little more understandable. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. They make the ending less disturbing, just barely, you know, no, without the tongue thing. Yeah. You lose something with that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's so thematically so important. I was like dreading the tongue scene. And then when mm. it didn't come, I was kind of like Dude. vaguely disappointed. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I, 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 it really is just a big like, but why? But why? why? You didn't, you didn't change enough to make this need to be its own thing. I'm, I'm more shocked they got Spike Lee involved with this to begin with. Like, I, yeah. It's not unlike him to like work outside of his normal wheelhouse, but like, this he doesn't typically have that great an eye for on-screen violence unless it's to like make a point rarely to entertain does he do that yeah and yes and you kind of needed somebody with that eye not that occasionally with the fight scenes what do you guys think meh because they even try okay. to recreate the the signature fight sequence which is just yeah. foolish yeah that that is a very good point that uh when spike lee has violence in his movies it's usually there's commentary mm -hmm. and this feels like there is not 
Yeah. Not that he can't handle yeah. fare like this or even that he was that bad a choice. I would probably be dissatisfied with whomever made it, but mm-hmm. I'm just kind of shocked that he, he jumped on it. It just doesn't make a ton of sense to me. But I'm, I'm sure it was swirling for more than 10 years. It just took that long to attach a bunch of people yeah. worthwhile to the project. And apparently there is there is a longer cut yes. that uh, Spike Lee is more of a director's cut. The producers made some of the some of the uh, trimming it down, making it shorter. So, yeah, it's possible there is a 140 minute cut out there that improves many of my complaints. I, I don't an extra half. Hour I don't know. Now. Yeah, that is a lot of time. Like I said, that's the other movie has that time. Yeah. No. 2003 old boy. You know, it. It lives up Ignore to the it. hype. It is a beautiful okay. and fascinating film, and this is just sort of like, eh. not recommended. Watch the original. No, no, there's absolutely no reason to watch this over the original at all. And there's no, no reason to watch and that I, over any movie out this week. Yeah, and I didn't, and I, I didn't back to back these. I really wanted to give each one some. I gave him some space. Jr. <laughs> Jr. So and I are the only only humans who have made ourselves suffer like that. In yeah. history, it's not worth it. Don't do it. Don't be like don't, us. Don't do it. Not recommended. Do <laughs> nope. Nope. Sorry. Next one recommended. We have two based on a true story movies that are both pulling best picture nominations mm-hmm. right here. Um, and one of them has stood the test of time, and one of them people immediately were calling foul on. Yeah. Uh, first up, we got Steve Coogan, Judy Dench, and Philomena. This November, I will not abandon my child. Judy Dench and Steve Coogan. Can you help me find you, Martin? We'll take you on a hilarious and uplifting journey of discovery. Champagne or bucks first? Oh, no, thank you. It's free. Oh, I, I see. You have to pay for everything on Ryanair. Critics and audiences agree. Philomena will have you laughing out loud one minute and weeping the next. I met him. Did you remember anything he said? Hello. Hello. Might have been hi. Oh, Martin. Coogan is outstanding. Dench takes your breath away. Philomena point out that it is a definitely a 10 year old trailer even though it sounds like tiktok ai in the vo there uh, <laughs> a movie That's you won't forget philomena philomena uh yeah based on a true story it is about a woman who in ireland in the 50s who got pregnant out of wedlock and was sent to one of those scary convent laundry schools oh, we boy. talked about the magdalene, magdalene sisters um, this is an easier watch, to watch version of, of a similar story. And yeah, she they took her baby away and they sold it to some Americans. And, and she didn't, uh, she, she eventually, you know, got on with her life and married and had a family. And just it's like, I, I want to find the son that it's not even she gave him up. She, he was taken and she, she had no, mm. the, no recourse. So she gets uh, Steve Coogan, who's a journalist, and they go on kind of like a fun road trip for a while of just trying to piece together what the hell was going on at these places and how did they get away with it for so long? And it's wonderful. I, yeah, I, I, I loved it. I thought it was fascinating, interesting. You know, it's, it's revealing uh, a sad, horrible story that will make you very angry at the Catholic church or at least parts of it while also kind of humanizing everybody. And it's also, yeah, for, for something that should be pretty heavy, it's pretty light. It's fun. It's mostly like just a road movie with some, interesting developments do they, and do they uh, exchange michael kane impressions <laughs> i wish but stephen freers doesn't miss yeah we've had so many movies directed by stephen freers and they're almost always kicking ass and yeah it's made on this super tiny budget does really well pulls a bunch of awards nominations judy dench and steve coogan i'd go on a road trip with him <laughs> especially if we get to yell at a nun at the end 
Sweet. Uh, I, yeah, I missed it. For Absolute recommend. Tenth year in a row, I missed it, but I did catch up with the next movie. Uh, Jennifer Garner, Jared Leto, Matthew McConaughey in Dallas Buyers Club. We estimate you have thirty days left. There ain't nothing out there can kill Ron Woodruff in thirty days. They got good meds out of Mexico. He could be making a fortune off of this. They're importing illegal drugs for sale. It's a very serious offense. Treating these people? Oh, they're treating themselves. Can you prove these are patients? Can you prove they're not? And I got one line. More to mean time. Dallas Buyers Club, rated R. Woo! Finally, I am so glad we have a film about how evil the FDA is <laughs> from keeping you from doing your own research so that you can buy your illegal drugs to treat your new disease from a sketchy guy who is charging you a fortune. For drugs that are not approved by the FDA. Finally, a movie about this. You know, I was going to say, finally, a movie about AIDS about a straight guy. So now I care. Well, yeah. Honestly, I mean, it had been almost 20 years since uh, they made a Hollywood movie about uh, AIDS. Really? Crisis. We're going to talk about the first one coming up. Uh, Jesus. I think late December. Oh, right? I'm going to have to get that SNL kid screaming it. So, Dallas Buyers It does. I watched it for the first time and I, it did strike me as like this movie on the shelf for 25 years. Like it, <laughs> it seemed like it would have been more appropriate, blah, blah, blah. Uh, well, mm. well that here, here's like, this is just me surmising my notes quickly. Cause it's been a long show. Even at the time, a lot of people criticized Jared Leto playing a trans person. That should be a trans person. I'd say, I'd say most of the time I, I agree with that sentiment. And I'm not defending Jared Leto's performance because I was not terribly moved by it. But that doesn't always have to be the case. And if the filmmaker's intent was to humanize the gay AIDS and gay slash AIDS experience, it might make more sense to cast someone they are already familiar with in a role they desperately want the audience to empathize. I don't know if that was their intention, but I was reading more about Matthew McConaughey's Rod Wood something. His, Mm -hmm. like... The movie portrays him as a womanizing bigot. Um, he was pretty concretely bi, and but the the movie's point of view is trying to get home, basically the homophobes on board with being nice to gay people. So I can see why mm-hmm. you would want to cast a familiar face in a role like that. So I'm not no. trying to excuse the <laughs> casting. I was going to say, how familiar is that face? Because that is the transformation of Matthew McConaughey down to that, skin and bones. If any, like. I wouldn't have given him the Oscar for this, but this is like mm-hmm. the most I've, I've never seen Matt McConaughey like uh, work this hard. Like the the weight loss yeah. in general on screen yep. is like disturbing, and him hit the way he looks at the end. Like okay, fuck Matt, just someone give him a statue of some kind, especially over yeah. Leto, <laughs> who's barely in the movie. Yeah, so. I mean, it, it plays fast and loose with some real history. They spend a lot of time in the movie talking about like the oh, the FDA is standing in the way of AIDS drugs getting to people. And that's at this point where they are in time, that was not really the case anymore. It was early on in the in the 80s. But they also talk about like AZT. They're just giving us AZT and AZT is poison. Like, dude, AZT is still part of the triple drug cocktail that we use to this day. I, uh, I meant AZT, more... they needed to do more research. They were giving people too much. Right, it turned out half the dose was just as effective, but they really are acting like the government just wants us all to die. It's like, I mean, it used to. Well, I... It was 
But better. but hold on, in, in a post-COVID world, the movie does frame, uh, if we're not explaining the plot of the movie, because I, I actually did not, I did had to refamiliarize myself with the plot of the movie, uh, a straight gets his uh, AIDS on and wants to get on the AZT program. It's heavily restricted. The FDA only allows, is still only allowing trials with this and that approval, and you could still get a placebo, and it won't be the dosage you need to save your life. Uh, in, in a post-COVID world, we sort of know how fast we can get the FDA to approve things if we're really paying uh, attention. I mean, if there's a literal worldwide plague and there's all sorts of this new wasn't that. technology, <laughs> not that was genuinely spreading as fast as COVID. No. I, I, I'm, um, I'm, I'm with you. Was... I'm with you on that. But there's plenty of evidence that the government on a federal level dragged its dragged its feet to help right. people you with AIDS. You do keep you must keep in mind the technological changes. Right. We have so much more DNA technology right. that we use to make the COVID vaccine than we had in 1981. I mean, they were talking like it's 10 years terrible. to wait for a drug to do something. Let's see if it right. kills this person in 10 years. It can yeah. be agonizing if you're dying in a month. To yeah, hear and the, that. the overall idea of like, we are all going to die very, very shortly. Shouldn't you just throw everything at yeah. us and see what, see what works like i'm happy to be a guinea pig i I think that's a genuine debate because when people are desperate Mm -hmm. they will take anything and you do have to act with some ethics because con men will absolutely fill that niche with anything that can make them a buck that is a thing that will happen try my ivermectin popsicle Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and that ended up happening. Some of the stuff that Dallas Buyers Club was bringing in from Mexico and recommending to people was like, yeah, it didn't do shit. Right. So if I could, the drugs were in a gray area of not approved by the FDA. So you couldn't even get a prescription for them as an individual, right. but you could smuggle them in through Japan and Mexico. He couldn't, Matthew McConaughey's character couldn't sell them, but you could buy, there's a lot of shit that works like this now, including drugs. You can buy a, you can buy a, what do you call it? Not a subscription, a subscription to the Dallas Buyers Club and we'll give you this medicine for Mm -hmm. free because it's not illegal to give out for free until it was after these buyers clubs started popping up all around the country. Yeah. So... Yeah, I mean, besides the historical problems and the... That is fascinating. Isn't it sad that this affected a straight white guy? Oh, he's a cowboy, even. There's a little bit of that. But also, yeah, well, that gives the character a journey of learning to not be a dick. Yeah, the truth is that gay folks were being affected by this. Gay folks rallied around, and they helped, and they did stuff, and they advocated, and that, that is very good, and this is more complicated than it's being portrayed but it, it's still a positive yeah. and, and something i didn't directly know about and mm. again i don't know how other governments work but mexico but like why was it so okay in japan maybe they didn't have the same outbreak to worry about no need to no. restrict this because there weren't enough, uh, as many people after it no but, i think i think it is just yeah different governments would be in like well fuck might as well because yeah, yeah once once you get the, the active AIDS infections, it can be very fast. Yeah, you so, give me a month to live. I'm going to start smoking again. Maybe I'll try heroin. Why? Yeah. Maybe it'll you know cure what? me. I, I'm going to break into a pharmacy. I'm going to take one of everything <laughs> and see how I feel. Give it a half yeah. hour, Diana. Uh, do I feel a full stomach? Or a half? I don't know. For you yeah. literally do a suicide. And I mean that in the form of the Coke machine, <laughs> which you're doing with pills. <laughs> 
Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like there are more stories that can be told out of this time. Uh, the bad old days that we shouldn't forget. I don't think this is doing a great job. It, it is odd to pick this guy and to portray him like they did. But I, again, like it's that it's that gaze is who is who are they wanting to watch this? Yeah. And it wasn't the story of like, you know, gay guy. It wasn't the story of the gay community's triumph uh, during the AIDS ec- epidemic. It was a really bad person who figured out he could make a buck on desperate people. <laughs> and then it ended up growing a bit of a heart and fighting a good fight for sure. Uh, for yeah. succumbing to the disease yeah. himself, but I like it, it's one of those it's, things I, I like to remind myself of, just because I think I tell that story pretty frequently. When I, I w- moved to San Francisco in like 2005, 2006, and I just remember walking around with someone who lived there for a while, and like, oh, that's that's Terry's place. Uh, lights on. I'm like, let's ring the doorbell. And like, Terry's sick, and mm. it's not coming out anymore. And there were like a ton of stories like that. And then I, it just gradually like, did you? For- we forgot about it. I grew up and I grew up in the AIDS panic of the late eighties, early nineties. And then when did we stop hearing about it altogether? Early two thousands, I think is when the drugs started to really improve. Hmm. Yeah. I, I don't have a, I don't have a good date on it, but I, I just remember yeah. AIDS was something I thought about every day because I was being asked to think about it every day to something I didn't even think that much of until another pandemic came along. Like, Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, one of my neighbors is a, an older gay couple and, um, they got really emotional early on in COVID. It was freaking them out really bad. Yeah. Uh, I think they were having basically old PTSD flashbacks. They said, I don't like this feeling of not knowing the phone could ring and I find out someone I know is dead again. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't like this. Yeah. That's why I think we should tell the story of the bad old days. Should we do it with Jared Leto in a dress? <sighs> He's trying. Mm-hmm. He's trying. But yeah, no. In the last ten years, we've definitely been like, let trans people tell their stories for fuck's sake. Yeah, yeah. I think that's probably a better move, and and a, a more trans roles all around, just in general, because you know most almost no one these days is written even that gender coded. I'm just, yeah. it's not impossible for a cis male to pull off a role like this or do it in general, but I can see why there was a little distaste for that, and and especially when you read more. The most Jared Leto stories of all time in care never left character for his 20 minutes of screen time. And everyone had to bear the brunt of that. And uh, because he takes himself very seriously, even when he's scaling a building to promote a concert. But <laughs> did you not see the news recently? Diana just shook her head. Nope. Apparently I haven't. He so, j- yeah. Our boy just scaled the Empire State, Bu- State Building. By that I mean was plopped, I think, on the last 40 feet and then climbed the rest of the way to promote his new. Jared Leto. Okay. He's might be one of our more more annoying celebrities. So it's I, don't, yes. I do not want to get on the defense of Jared Leto train. <laughs> Doesn't seem like a horrible dude. He's just ugh, so annoying. <laughs> I'm going to be the Joker and send people condoms. Fun. Great. Way to get in a ca- character by affecting everybody else. Okay. Dallas Buyers Club, uh, uh, but also like a Matthew McConaughey is acting a lot. And I'm not trying, because I think it's a good performance. It's just like, it never reaches laughable, but it really gets close. It is mm. very, very Oscar Beatty. Okay. Let's get it. Let's just get out of the way of the, the biggest show in town. This, this, yeah, this, yeah, these are all like smaller indie releases because no one, no one in their right mind wants to go head to head with the number one movie. Like, the, the, no, 
Just take the week off, everybody. I I remember, and this I don't know. This is anecdotal, but uh, there's being some doubts. My favorite thing about this movie is how much it's just like we are not softening this in a Hollywood way that we would have done like five years ago. Jenna Malone, Sam uh, Claffin, Jeffrey Wright, Phillips, Phil Cy Hoffman. Uh, Phil Soy. Phil Soy Hoffman, uh, Donald Sutherland, Stanley Tucci, Elizabeth Banks, Woody Harrelson, Liam Neeson, Josh Hutcherson. And, <laughs> I wish Liam Neeson. Uh, Liam Hemsworth, my bad. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence. But don't date her. She's too young for you, Liam. It's number one at the box office. It's, it's Hunger Games Catching Fire. You fought very hard in the arena, Miss Everdeen, and they were games. Would you like to be in a real war? Snow, I threatened to kill my family. Make him pay for it. The 75th Hunger Games! In theaters and IMAX. Buy your tickets now. I should say I watched the wrong movie for this show because I watched the first one again. We watched the first one last year. My brain, my brain, my brain. (laughs) So I. This is the first Hunger Games movie I ever saw. Really? My wife wow. loved the series, and she saw the first one. I was busy when the first one came out. I went and watched this in the theaters with her, and you know, she was whispering in my ear, telling me everything I needed to know. And then when I went back and watched the first one, I was like, well, that was an awful repeat of the second one, because <laughs> they both start out in District 12, and then they go to the Capitol, and then they finish in the Hunger Games. They're Almost the same movie. They have a lot in. There is. It is the sequel problem of the same, the same, but more. But I think this makes some improvements. And I actually would have liked more of the things that this movie does that the first one doesn't. This movie has a lot about celebrity and the idea that this government is so fucked up that they make you send your kids to go into a battle royale and slaughter each other. And then one comes out. And then that person is now a celebrity with the upper class and they are treated differently and they have all this, you know, privilege and luxury now because they went out and murdered a bunch of other kids, Mm -hmm. but they're also resented by all the people from where they came from because they have this privilege and attention and luxury. And they, it's all about performing celebrity for the camera. And that part I really liked, and I could even do with just. I think that's the, the go into that more. Most clear theme of the entire movie series, because like, is this mm-hmm. anti-fascist or is this just a giant satire on fame and reality television? Because I think well, that's a much more yeah. comfortable area for a movie studio to <sighs> be in. Well, 2013, you know, near the height of Occupy Wall Street, I remember remember the real enemy being an online slogan at the time of uh, really using this film as a metaphor for class struggle. I remember that being quite popular when these films were coming out. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I think I I like the expanding of the universe into that issue instead of just, I mean, the basic idea is it's about class war. You know, the whole thing is about the the ruling elites and the pitting the children against each other and ruling with an iron fist and that there is, now, you know, cracks in the fascist armor and, the, the you know, they're basically saying, look, we don't want to have if we have a revolution, a lot of fucking people die. And Donald Sutherland, even though he is the evil autocratic ruler, he is technically right on that. And he m- makes this appeal to Jennifer Lawrence. I love that it just picks right up like they don't even try to catch you up. Yeah. They're just like, 
you fucking know you know makes this appeal to her of like yeah do you want to be in a real war none of us do so let's calm everybody down and everything will be great but also at the same time i'm going to have horrible crackdowns and summary executions right in front of you and the children watching this movie so that you know like actually you can't just acquiesce but what the characters end up doing is something that very rarely works in reality, which is the trying to fix it from the inside. Mm. Um, usually you just get corrupted by the inside and this is them constantly. Mm. I I love that the two characters are kind of reminding each other, like, don't, don't fall for this. Like these people that are like talking about how great we are, are also people who are, eating a ton of food, vomiting it back up and wasting it while our people are starving. And they were probably betting oh, against again, us. Remember a, who the real enemy is. Betting against us in a high-end pool and w- which one of us was going to die. Yeah. These are not your friends. Exactly. And so, yeah, it's an uh, hour 20, I think, is just that. It's the dealing with celebrity, dealing with the trauma that they feel, the spotlight that's on them about trying to balance like supporting an uprising but not wanting to be responsible for it getting people killed and I, that part i found was really good then they go into the arena it's still good i'm not complaining it was pretty interesting yeah, I, I always give the outside of the last the splitting of mocking jay yeah this isn't wasn't made for me but this is like the series i've most enjoyed that was made for people much younger than me especially these mm-hmm. first two i really did dig yeah and th- they 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 pull punches on violence and that there isn't much blood. We got to keep it PG-13, but there is a significant amount murder. of violence and political violence and, and letting kids know like, yeah, just putting your head down and walking away and not paying attention is not going to make things better. You actually have to do something. And that means putting yourself and your loved ones at risk. Mm. Yay. I love, I hope this inspires more kids to fight the system. God damn it. And also, we should all dress like Elizabeth Banks. Life would be more interesting. <laughs> I, the costumes might be the greatest thing about these films. Yes. The scene of her wearing a wedding dress that catches on fire and then it turns into her uh, Mockingjay outfit, that is some great visual medium stelly- storytelling going on mm-hmm. there. Yeah. yeah. I, th- this is one I, I appreciated the, like, the cleanness of the first Hunger Games movie. It's a solid adaptation. This one, it sounded like they, you know, they lost their director. They went through a couple of screenwriters. It sounded a little bit troubled, and it, they pull it all together. Really, it's still it's a solid adaptation. They leave out a couple of things from the book that didn't really need to be here, and keep keep your eye on the prize. And because they're they're yeah. they're moving at Harry Potter speeds, even before mm-hmm. I I I, assu- I had assumed in my head these all filmed like back to back, but like. They greenlit the second one while they were filming it because they were pretty sure we're going to make <laughs> we're going to make another one of these. But it wasn't it wasn't set in stone until the su- success of the first one. And it, they come out at a Harry Potter clip once a year, mm-hmm. and and the budget on this doubles compared to the previous film, yeah. and it makes more, but not double more. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm assuming they filmed the next two back-to-back because they are Phil Cy Hoffman's last films and they are both posthumous. I don't... They might have filmed the two Mockingjays back-to-back. That's what I'm saying. Um, the, the two... The next two, the Mockingjays. They did. And I love, I love the timing on this that uh, we get the, the next... The, the next the one that's a prequel literally next week we got another hunger yeah. games movie coming for the first time in ages yeah i can't wait to see how that fares i feel like this 
this this series turned Lionsgate into like kind of a big studio. Not, oh, yeah. Overnight is not fair to say because they'd been humming along for like, but only about ten years. I remember I never heard of them till the Weinstein's made Miramax drop that Michael Moore movie and like oh, Lionsgate's going to release Dogma and Fahrenheit nine eleven because Disney made Miramax drop them. That's the first time I'd ever heard of them, and here they are now like. <laughs> some of the last studios we have uh, without a streaming yeah. service. That's what did Mad Men, I want to say, too. They, did. they, they, they were didn't. they were fucking rolling in it by this point. They made some very smart decisions. Yeah. I, I, I Again, Hunger Games, yeah. I, I still haven't seen the other two. Oh, you we'll get to them next year. But I also, I did read the books. I read the audio books, mm. and this was my favorite of them because I thought it fleshed out the world more, and I love that the movie did that, too. Even though yeah, I'd be perfectly happy if they never go and have another Hunger Games, mm. you know, or they have a Hunger Games and she doesn't have to participate in it. And what what's it feel like for her now? Well, that was the last but thing I had. In I my... know that's that's not what people wanted. In my notes, as media moves forward, like Lionsgate is the newest movie studio. They don't have 100 years of IP to pull from when they want to put something big in theater. They only have this for the most part. They've had other successes here and there, but this is this is their big thing and they haven't readdressed it in nine years eight years yeah eight years and yep. yeah it'll be interesting to see how that pans out but uh, i've always been a fan but like i've been like a one two viewing of these films and just don't feel as expert as i should be because i really did like the first two but the, oh, yeah no I, I really this kind of like some of the later later harry potter movies they appreciate that they actually take some time to have characters just talk about what they're thinking about yeah Show characters thinking, give them room to breathe instead of just like, go, 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 do stuff. You know, they don't feel like they feel like characters that that you care about instead of just mechanics of the plot. Mm. Yeah. Yay. Okay. Catching fire recommend for for us. What are we we thinking? Yeah. 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 It's fun. Suck it. Dallas Buyers Club. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Moving on to TV in 2013. Almost Human debuts on Fox. Almost. You're never going to believe this pitch. It's a human cop with a robot partner. What? Where do they get these ideas? We just talked about RoboCop. We did just talk about uh, <laughs> RoboCop, but there was also an early 90s TV show. I can not recall the name of it. Oh, I know exactly this. what you're talking about. It's not Mantis. Mantis? Man and Machine. Man and Machine. Mm. Um, Where man yes. is like M-A-N. Yeah, Carl uh, Urban. Yeah. Wasted. <laughs> Please, Jr. take it with My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic, Season 4 premiere. Oh, boy, there's a lot going on in here. Okay, so My Little Pony has some serious lore. I am not (laughs) making this up. This has world-changing events that happen and that change the entire course of the series, and it's all set in this really bright, colorful, cheerful world where the point is all about friendship, but they're fighting against the forces of darkness that are threatening to overcome the entire kingdom. The queen of this land has an evil sister who she has to bring back into the light, and she's just done that. And this episode is actually all about seeing the past through a new light. It is the most adult (laughs) children's cartoon I can honestly (laughs) think of. Please, I hope you have the same zest for an adventure in time and space, a TV movie miniseries I've never heard of from 10 years ago. This is the making of Doctor Who. Oh, it is? Yeah. Yeah. Ah, Uh, Before 
you make Doctor Who, you have to think about your entire life story, as uh, <laughs> you can kind of hear in this video clip. We want to do a science fiction series. C.S. Lewis meets H.G. Wells meets Father Christmas. That's the Doctor. I don't want you to be my assistant. I want you to produce it. That's not the way we do things at the BBC, sir. <laughs> Maybe she is two years old, and that's not the way we do things. <laughs> I did not know you meant this is a narrative film. I, what a great documentary that could be. What a terrible-looking <laughs> movie this probably is. Poor Brian Cox. But it's uh, it's probably, uh, jump into this, the, the Day of the Doctor, the 50th anniversary episode. Yeah, for, this is where we're getting the first appearance of the 12th Doctor. So if Peter you're Cole. a fan of Doctor Who, new Doctor. And there's uh, another special coming up right like as we speak, right, for a brand new anniversary special, I believe, with a bunch of crossovers. Uh, you know what I love? I love presumptuous titles, mm-hmm. such as the Comedy Central stand-up special that aired 10 years ago this week from a little comedian that everybody loved, Bill Cosby's. Far From Finished. <laughs> That's the title of his special <laughs> He has another full special out there, doesn't he? That like has been so he had vault. Bill Cosby seventy seven, and it was canceled. It was going to be on Netflix due to uh, sexual assault charges. Mm-hmm. But yeah, oh that Cosby. Okay, okay. Yes, yeah. that, that, that the oh. horrible, horrible monster who will yep. die free and rich. Yep. We are eleven months away from. In a, in a very old boy situation, one person making one small comment and it igniting a firestorm that ends where it should of someone in prison. I, That's 11 months from now. I didn't see. It was shared this week, but it, someone tweeted or exited. Name a piece of pop culture that ruined your life. And Hannibal Burris responded like, nothing. It's all been great. <laughs> not one thing didn't even have to mention them what is Christ- Kristen's Christmas past what am I you time travel back to talk to your teenage self mm. as uh, during Christmas for Christmas okay oh god we're into Hallmark movies aren't we we are ah fuck, oh, fuck. I, we'll I, never escape I mean just listen to this and how can you resist this year <laughs> oh my god who are you you crazy lady I'm you from the future. She'll have to be anyone but herself. Hello. Mom, this is Kay. She's sort of like my mentor. So you invited her here. It would have been nice to ask, Kristen. Sorry, Mom. <laughs> I I shouldn't elongate the show by mentioning this, but it only happened to me this week. I've never really got the Hallmark movies, but I don't watch them, you know. And then I found, uh, yeah, I'm seeing someone who's, media savvy and we have a bunch of the same tastes and just waiting for the oven to oven to preheat and like oh peacock has a hallmark streaming channel i have fallen into these extremely hard in the last three days with my friend i cannot recommend enough the nine lives of christmas the story of brandon routh and some lady whose cats get them together for christmas (laughs) they are the funniest things in the fucking world there's three locations (laughs) you know how jr we were like you're probably not going to see AI CG on a movie screen for a while. Couple years, I'm guessing. These Hallmark movies do not give a fuck. <laughs> I have never seen such drastic and unusable AI art forced into a film, I say in air quotes, 
I am addicted. So this is this is a modern thing, not a ten years ago thing. I cannot wait to watch more Hallmark movies with my friend. They are hysterical. I th- same reason we love mystery science movies. I guess like uh, I know everything this movie is doing is wrong, and it's really tickling me in some way. Uh, fantastic. And then a uh, little bit of modernity because he popped up on SNL last week. By that I mean not unexpectedly. Uh, Alec Baldwin had a show. For a second, up late with Alec Baldwin. It premieres this week, and then <laughs> five episodes. This lasted five episodes. If you were to make a top five episode list of this show, that would contain the entire run of the series. <laughs> Alec Baldwin, and why, but why was it canceled? Someone finally saw Cat in the Hat. <laughs> Slurs, you say. Slurs. Slurs. I'm not saying Alec Baldwin is uncancelable, but he's the closest I think we've had. Made a ton of mistakes, killed a guy, um, (laughs) screamed at his daughter, called people unsayable words, has starred in so many canceled and awful things. Everyone still loves him. All good. And I'm, I'm there too. I love my Alec Baldwin. Uh, oh dear! Yes, yeah. I almost want to know which slurs because I feel like there's a sliding the, scale of slurs. The F, the F one, I oh. believe. At a, at a, at a, not that this makes it a lot better, but it was a harassing photographer following his family in the mm. moment it happens. Um, I guess I don't. <laughs> I no. I don't do a lot of things right, but I don't scream that word when I'm frustrated. Anywho, Alec Baldwin. Uh, lost his lost his MSNBC talk show would gain several dozen more podcasts and shows. Alec Baldwin is always <laughs> doing something. Ah, mm. oh, shit! Another one of these games of 2013. Curse Jr. and his thoroughness to cover exactly what went down because a week <laughs> after the PS4, and I mean, I think we're separating it by a week, but it was like three or four days. They were yeah, it was days, but due to the nature of the yeah. show, they landed on different weeks. It was days, and I remember I couldn't get either one, and I lived near. A wildly unpopular Microsoft store. What a dumb idea. <laughs> and it, like they're all sold out. And I walked in the next day. I'm like, there's a ton of them for some reason. So I ended up adopting the Xbox first because they were incredibly available earlier. But Xbox One releases to a lot of controversy that we sort of hinted at last week. I think they had to significantly overhaul their OS and their online infrastructure. That whole thing was kind of a fucking mess when it launched. However... It allowed you to stream while you played the stream. Like you could watch a fucking baseball game while you played games. I don't have, I have an over the area antenna, but only one that plugs into the Xbox because it allowed you to do that. Cause that's a complicated thing now. You guys clearly aren't dealing with over the air antennas, but if I want to watch the Oscars or I'm dating someone who likes football for some reason, the only way you can do that is throwing up an antenna and plug it into something. The Xbox had a really good interface for that. But games are the thing it kind of faltered on. So launching this week is you got Battlefield 4, Madden NFL 25, NBA 2K14, multi-platform stuff. But things that only Xbox has. The thing, thing I was praying for, a spiritual sequel to Panzer Dragoon, maybe Panzer Dragoon Saga. That was kind of nixed before this was announced. But Panzer Dragoon, I think from the some of the original developers, Crimson Dragon very much sucks. Um, <laughs> uh, Rise, Son of Rome, was an Xbox exclusive that I believe made its way eventually to other platforms. It is an incredibly good graphical showcase of why how this is a new plat- platform. Look at these textures. Look at this frame rate. You can't do this on your previous Xbox, but it's 
just not that there's no variety in it. It's not very fun. It's very handholdy. And there's no reason to play it now. Mm. Of all of them, maybe Dead Rising 3. <sighs> they made it gritty and brown and lame. Okay, Dead Rising 2, you were in this mall and it was wackety schmackety. This one, <sighs> they take out too much of the fun. I, I can't remember if that was totally the case or they had a free edition later on that was like, what was it, like Dead Rising 3 Turbo Super Champion Edition that was like added tons of silly here's the thing i was working at at this company while this was out this was not part of my work and like i don't want anything to do with it (laughs) i've never touched this game but i've i've been adjacent to very serious conversations about it i have never touched it and four like you said just goes frank west back in a mall fun wackety schmackety christmas time i love two i just i beat it every way you can beat it i darn i think i 100 percented it or close to i don't even know but how to do that, yeah. dead rising three i just bounced off have you played four i've played a little four ran into the time problem being i don't have enough time i enjoyed what oh, i played of it though i thought you meant having to replay time the way time <laughs> works in a dead rising game you could have meant both but i played it very late it's an awesome christmas game it, and there's it might be the best Christmas game that there is, uh, Dead Rising 4. Anyway, Mario Party Island Tour for 3DS. It's sort of a wonder more Mario Parties didn't hit the 3DS. I wasn't that interested. I'd kind of seen everything Mario Party had to offer, so I did not pick up Island Tour. But the next two games became two of my favorites on their respective Nintendo platforms. Super Mario mm-hmm. 3D World Wii U Edition. Once again. It's fabulous. There's absolutely no reason to play this on the Wii U when the Switch version gives you Bowser's Fury and this game game. on the go. This is a great game, though. Mm -hmm. They were really playing around with the levels. They were really doing a good job at making Mario interesting. It just was stuck on the Wii U, which is the problem for every Nintendo game we're going to talk about for the next (laughs) three years. Yeah, but it's it's, uh, like... I never thought it because I love Mario 64 Sunshine Odyssey, but internally Nintendo's like these Mario games do not do as well as the 2D ones because that are instantly understandable by multiple generations. This is the best marriage between the two. It is 3D, but it operates mostly on controls and camera views and principles of a, t- of a 2D game. Yeah, I mean, Mario Odyssey is definitely a step up for me compared mm-hmm. to this game because it's open world, and I feel like this was not the direction that Mario needed to go in 2013 if it's competing with the Xbox and the PS3. I, I do not see this as a system seller game. It's a good yeah. game. Yeah, it's a good I game. really enjoyed it, but to me it's not the like, oh, wow, oh, my gosh, that I got playing both Mario Odyssey and Breath of the Wild. Both of those games were, to me, system sellers. I don't think the Wii U had a single system seller. Not really, no. Um, I mean, I have personal favorites, but I'm not going to pretend Monster Hunter 3 Ultimate is something that was going to move consoles in America. Speaking of Zelda, The Legend of Zelda, A Link Between Worlds. Before we got the open world ones, this is, I think, the best Zelda of the modern era. The uh, full-on sequel to Link to the Past, but to me... It was so uncomfortable. Do you play this, JR? Do you have a 3DS? I love this game. It's this is so by good. far my favorite 3DS game. Nothing else even comes close, although I like plenty of them. This, to me, was everything I could have possibly wanted. Link to the Past is my comfort game. 
You know, mm. I beat it every five years yeah. just because I enjoy that world. I've got such great memories of playing it. It's got such great design. And to go back to that world where so everything cool. is vaguely similar mm. but different enough to be interesting mm -hmm. was a genius. And making it so that I rent my weapons completely changes the game. It's... Now I actually care about death. Now yeah. death isn't mm -hmm. just, okay, I'll restart at the beginning of this level. It's like, I paid a shit ton of money to that renter, and now <laughs> I'm going to lose all my shit and have to get more coins. I really, really don't want to die. It's it's genius. I was, Level design is awesome. Big, I was, big recommend. I was again it, but I think people who played this game are much more prepared for Breath of the Wild. I was playing it like a normal Zelda. I'm introduced to a weapon. I should have to kill the next boss I encounter with it because that's sometimes the only thing you do with an item or weapon you find in Zelda. Anything can be tackled in any order. This is a weird experiment in open world Zelda games before Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom came out. And it's fucking mm -hmm. excellent. I barely remember what was great about being a 2D link on the wall, but <laughs> Zelda always has the best puzzles. To me, it was the open world thing that was thrilling. I, I will say I did take a little getting used to going on to the walls because that was just another spatial adjustment. But again, it just opens up the world. It makes me more excited to explore. Totally. And at least Super Mario 3D World is playable on Switch. If you don't have a 3DS, you can't play this. They still, I think if they, if you can find one in a store, this might be the last year. They still sell 3DS games. I don't know if this will ever be seen in another console. And if it is, it might have to be remade from the ground up. Given the 3DS, I guess you're you're right, but I mean, the Switch came out with a Game Boy Zelda remake. Yeah. I'm sure someday they'll remake this. It just might not be for 25 yeah. years. <laughs> At the rate of one and a half per five years, <laughs> Zelda, yeah. it might take a while. But it's but no, it's if, very if good. They were to do you know like that Mario game where they uh, upgraded Mario 64, mm -hmm. Mario Sunshine, and Mario Galaxy. Right. 3D if they were to do that with the 2D Zelda games, please, that would be awesome. If please, only, please, Nintendo. If, if only. only. And that almost wraps up the show. You can support us at patreoncom slash time. Give us five bucks. Give us less. Give us more. We'll give you over a hundred, over hundreds of uh, exclusive podcasts, including. The three of us talking more in depth about uh, films just outside of the 302010 era because the 80s is still fun to talk about. I resent not being able to talk about it. Stupid formats. Uh, <laughs> and that's, so that's always fun. Yeah, Video Game Apocalypse. Make sure to check that out every single week. We have a ton of fun stuff to talk about this week. And I can't we talk about some new releases, some evergreen stuff, some news stories, little information, little bullshittery, but you know, we try and keep it infertaining. So, yeah. Not just a couple of guys bullshitting about things they like. We're trying out new stuff here and learning stuff ourselves. Die, where can folks find you at? They can find me on Blue Sky so far. I guess hit me up on Facebook if you want invites. I got a bunch uh, at ListenerNerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D. Coming up next week. Oh, it's another good one. We have Hayden Christensen's best film. I Whoa, okay. feel pretty secure in saying that. I'm pretty sure I can guess what it is. It's not Jumper. No. <laughs> we have one of Eddie Murphy's worst films. Um, oh, that's a big claim. Yes, I'm going there. We have the third of our 2003 modern Christmas classics. This one, ah. I'm so happy. It gives Bernie Mac and Tony Cox a lot of room to play. Yeah, it's, it's like a weird final movie for two people. It's so... 
Awful. Untimely deaths happening. Yeah, we we also have uh, I can tie all this together in a in a weird six degrees of Kevin Bacon way. I talked about Yentl in Classic Corner, and if you watched, is it Deadpool two? Mm-hmm. I think he makes a comparison of musical refrains from Yentl and a movie we're going to talk about next week. Do you want to build a snowman, oh. Papa? Can you hear me? <laughs> if that weren't enough. Oh, no, it was a run by fruiting. A run by fruiting? Everyone's impression of Queen Elizabeth is actually an impression of this character. (laughs) Hello. Someone just posted a picture, him leering behind Piers Brosnan, like, that would have been a good Bond villain. Like, (laughs) And if that wasn't enough, two guys named Pete start having adventures on Nickelodeon. Hell yeah. JSM ends. Oh, (laughs) the sequel to Max Payne comes about, and Brian Griffin dies. (laughs) That is funny. So bizarre. Such a weird thing, but I man, it was. I'll mention it then. Thank you guys so much for listening. So what we're going to do now is tell you who died and play a little quiz between Di and I, but who was born during this period of 30, 2010, but Di, who died during this period of 30, 2010? Okay. Well, in 1993, that's when we lost Bill Bixby. who was only 59 because we all remember the courtship of Eddie's father. <laughs> now we remember the incredible Hulk. It's a very memorable name, by the way. Like I don't know that I can put a face to him, but I've heard the name thousand. Bill Bixby, great name. That's a great name. And we also lost Anthony Burgess, who is 76. That's the author of a trillion fucking books, but A Clockwork Orange is the only one you know. Oh. He also composed like 250 pieces of classical music. You just think he's a Clockwork Orange guy. Well, that's a, that's a perfect story for him. Lots of classical music to talk about. Exactly. Ludwig then, van. In 2003, we lost Michael Kamen, who was only 55. Fuck you, MS. He was a composer of so much bombastic, what you think of 80s action movies sound like. He did Die Hard and the Lethal Weapons. Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Oh, my God. Excuse me. He did the Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves score and the Disney home video score because they're the same. I always thought that was weird. (laughs) Yep. We just talked about the oh. uh, Three Musketeers. Same thing. It was just like, yeah, let's just try to get that Robin Hood vibe going. Whatever. And composer Michael Kamen, the original star of the Japanese series, Kamen Writer. It's true. All right. Didn't get a laugh from my co-hosts. I'm looking at you, audience. Uh, <laughs> right over my head. I have no all idea. All right. All right. All right. No need yep. to dwell. Oh, uh, Band of Brothers and the first X-Men movie, too. Oh, that's a, not bad. And Sorry. He is kind of beat on the awards front, though. In 2013, we lost Doris Lessing, who was 94. She got the 2007 Nobel Prize for Literature. Oh, for so what there book? You go. What, uh, anything we know? Well, that's that's a career award. Oh, okay. But uh, she wrote The Grass is Singing, and there's the, the Children of Violence series that she wrote for almost 20 years. Um, yeah, one of the great British writers that I feel bad I haven't read her stuff. Pro tip, people. <laughs> critics love titles with the word grass in them. I've just, I find that's always true. Put grass in your title. Like leaves of grass? There you go. Sea of grass. Love the mm. grass. Grass uh, harp. Okay. <laughs> it always works. Sounds so classy, doesn't it? I know what grass and, looks and like. And that's why I'm 
going to get a fancy Pulitzer Prize for <laughs> cast casher ass. The Diana Goodman story. <laughs> yeah. And then I'll come up with a sequel to that uh, back when gasoline was $4.50 a gallon. And it'll be called just gas, gas, or gas. No one likes <laughs> Keep your ass. I need that gas. <laughs> well, with the death out of the way, what do we got, GR? It's time for the birthday quiz. Oh, birthday is a doodly doo, a ding dong doodly doodly ding dong doo. Turning forty. Oh, a baby. A baby. A baby. Those young forty-year-olds, you know. Born November nineteenth, nineteen eighty-three in San Diego, California. Called himself a bit of a misfit growing up. Said he climbed radio towers, set objects on fire, and co-founded a fight club with his friends based on the movie Fight Club. Chris Pratt. No. Damn. What an idiot. Seems like something you do. Well, he's young enough to have not gotten the right message out of that movie. Okay. After high school, he worked as a door-to-door salesman selling Kirby vacuum cleaners, which seems like something out of the 1940s. It's a Nintendo Kirby vacuum cleaners. Oh. It transforms into whatever you suck up. Uh, He applied to the Juilliard School for Drama, but was not accepted. And then after the 9-11 attacks, he enlisted in the United States Marines, where he served for over Ah. two years. Driver. I think I might know. That it, Chris got it. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. <laughs> I, I, meant, I meant I knew Diana was. I just wanted to come in with. Do I talk like Buffalo Bill on occasion? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, for our listeners, he was in the 2012 HBO comedy drama series Girls, film Lincoln, Inside Lewin Davis, uh, Hungry Hearts, and of course played Kylo Ren in the Star Wars sequel trilogy as well as Logan Lucky and Black Klansman, The Last Duel, House of Gucci, and Ferrari. Ferrari. And I will also say kind the of an- Ford v. Ferrari? For, uh, yeah, no, Ford v. Ferrari? No, the new Ferrari movie. Just oh, there's Ferrari. another Ferrari movie. There's another there's dad another... car movie about the creation of the Ferrari. I was- are, they, are they all going to have the House of Gucci accents? Because those were great accents. <laughs> Speaking of Jared Leto. Oi. Uh, I, just, I went very Jewish. I'm sorry. Oi. I, I saw the trailer with my dad when we watched Killers of the Flower Moon, and I swear he wet himself. Oh, it's such a dad movie. And I do want to say Adam Driver kind of- a modern SNL MVP. That dude's commitment to silliness with seriousness, very good. Very, very yeah. good. Love my Adam Drivers. Yeah, he's a cool guy. Well, Di, what are we closing out with? Speaking of well, SNL. <laughs> yeah, speaking of SNL, get ready to injure your neck. We have to go out with What is Love by Hathaway because it's 30 years old this week. What is it, what is it with SNL movies and neck, neck-based neck dance routines? Just keeps on happening. Bohemian Rhapsody, now this. What is Ooh. love? I mean, that's kind of. Are we bobbing to the left or to the right? Oh, because we can have one. Because we're bobbing forward for headbanging, so we we need one that's going the other direction. I'm 43, Diana. You're going to need to decide for me. I cannot do <laughs> both. Cannot and still back out of a driveway. What is love by Hadaway? The only only song I know by this person at all. Hadaway. Well, he has a whole album. You should dig into the discography. No. There's. 
There's yeah. plenty of Hadaway to be had away. Oh, <laughs> oh God damn it. <laughs> All right, with that, we'll take you out of the show. Patreon.com slash Laser Time. Tell a friend about the show. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. What is